Get the latest news and sport online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. You done? I'm done. Here we go. Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Lovely morning. It's sunny and bright outside, sunny and bright in my head, which is a good thing. It's my last day this week. I know, what a part-timer. Two days away. Part-timer. Part-timer. Don't panic, don't panic. We won't just have three hours of silence for the next few days. We'll have a very special celebrity presenter standing in for you. Big star. Big star. Who's it going to be? Well, it's Justin Daly. But, yeah, you know, sorry. David Prever was busy, I do apologise. Anyway, for my last show this week, got lots of stuff to talk about, some uh, some cracking stuff. As always, keen to get your uh, opinions on the things we're talking about today. The Archbishop of Canterbury says the same-sex marriage bill would weaken a cornerstone of society. Well, today the House of Lords will debate the controversial change. Will gay marriage be good or bad for Britain? Is it a waste of time brushing your teeth more than once a day? A quarter of people in the UK go 24 hours without brushing. I'll let you into a secret. I only brush my teeth once a day. I couldn't go more than that because your mouth starts to get a bit clarty. But uh, once a day, sometimes twice if I'm feeling bold. And protesters voice their concerns about plans for an incinerator in Bedfordshire. Would you have a problem having an incinerator built near you? Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR... You can send me a text, 81333. Start your text, 3CR. Put your name on it, please. Or, and look, the, the lines are completely free at the moment. The best way to get in touch is to give me a call, 08459 455 555. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Well... I'm sure you're as uh, concerned as I am about who the new Doctor Who's going to be. That young lad who was playing him, the boy. What was his name? Matt Smith. He's uh, stepped down from the role, and uh, it'll be his last uh, journey as the Time Lord will be at Christmas. Well, we mentioned it on yesterday's show, and uh, it got Richard in Wilmslow very, very hot under the collar. I could be the Doctor Who. I'm old. Rupert, Rupert Grint is ten to one. Thunderpants. What about me then? No, not Richard. No, you're not in the running. Oh, right. Billy Piper. Really? Yeah, lovely. Would Definitely. Reese Ifans, the Welsh man in his pants. Oh yes, I like him. He's hilarious, old Reese. Would he be good as a, as a doctor? I don't know. I don't watch Doctor Who. Ever <laughs> since I saw a Dalek, we jumped behind the sofa. I haven't watched it since. Well, that was Richard in uh, Winslow. The question is, could the new Doctor Who be a woman? The answer is no! You can't have a woman Doctor Who. No, you can't do it! It doesn't work! You've got the vote. You're almost earning the same as us. You want to be Doctor Who now? No, we might also have, have a Lady James Bond, for goodness sake. Doctor Who's a bloke. He's a bloke. Doctor, it's there. Oh, no, you can have Lady Doctors as well, can't you? Well, Justin Daly has been looking into this, haven't you, Justin? Exterminate, Ian Lee. Exterminate. Good morning, Ian. You well? 
I don't understand why you were just doing um, a Woody Allen voice <laughs> when I think you meant to be doing exterminate, exterminate, oh, that's kill actually, the dealy. Yeah. I'll give you that one. Yeah. I'll give you, I love Richard as well. Oh, but you know, exter- who, exter- who lovely? exterminate. I gotta exterminate. I'm Woody Allen as a. Do- it doesn't work, Justin, for good. Have you ever seen Doctor Who? Um, I'm not a big fan, I have to be honest with you. Um, sci fi nonsense, as far as I'm concerned. Wow, uh, controversial. Uh, yes, not a big fan of it at all. But, of course, a lot of talk about this new Doctor. Could it be a lady? You're offended by this. Yes. A lot of people are as well. I've been in Hemel Hempstead asking people how they would feel if we had a female doctor for the first time, and this is what people had to say. Hang on, sorry, you actually went out and asked this question? Yes, absolutely. Wow. Bill, you love Doctor Who. How would you feel about seeing a female doctor? Would that offend you? It wouldn't offend me. Um, I would uh, much prefer a male actor playing the part purely on the basis that if you start having sex gender changing, uh, particularly with the doctor had a granddaughter, uh, does that mean his granddaughter Susan would become a male, played by a person like Ross Kemp? (laughs) And how... um, But it's science fiction, so I suppose anything can happen. But uh, that's my reasoning. You've taken this answer very seriously. If there was a female doctor, and be honest here, would you turn it off or would you give it a try? I would always give it a try. Definitely. Okay, this is a very personal question. Sorry for asking this, but our listeners, I'm sure, are desperate to know. You're such a Doctor Who fanatic. You've been watching it since 1972. Are you single? No. (laughs) In fact, my wife arranged for a Dalek to appear at our wedding reception. This is just getting weird now. (laughs) How great was that for you? It was a a, a big surprise. It was fantastic, because this was back in 2003 when when I got married, and Doctor Who wasn't on the television back then, so those children didn't know what it was mm. children who'd never seen a dalek before yeah never hid behind a sofa oh, come on give us your dalek impression come on <laughs> I'll, I'll turn away i'll turn away give us your dalek impression i'm listening exterminate you will obey us let's exterminate this conversation thank you very much indeed <laughs> thank you my friend rita just before i start you tell things the way they are don't you yeah yeah do yeah, yeah absolutely so should we have a female doctor? Or is that just wrong? What do you think? No, I think you should have a female doctor on there. Well, I just think it's like racism, isn't it? If you, if, you, you know, just, I mean, what an ordinary, like you say, for doctor, I just think there should be because it's sort of like, it, well, it's like if you're being racist, isn't it, against a woman mm. being on there, isn't it, really, isn't it? Yeah. That's how I look at it. I think, Justin, excuse me yeah. if I've got this wrong, I, I, I think mm. that racism against women is called sexism. <laughs> I think so. I think. Do you know the best thing about this feature? Doctor Who fans, none of them, none of them are normal people. You've uh, heard two there, no, come on. I'm you not can't say they're no, normal people. No, I'm not having that, Justin. They both sounded like delightful, yeah. uh, wonderful <laughs> people that I could happily spend an evening with. I'd love yes. to go around and watch Doctor Who with that bloke or that woman. It's racism that if we don't have a female Doctor, and secondly, the man had a Dalek at his wedding yeah. and was doing Dalek impressions, talking about sex changes, what would happen. Yeah, these people are totally normal, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Hey, my dad stole a Dalek once. Did he really? Yeah, we had, uh, years ago, when I was about seven years old, my dad, we lived on a council estate in Slough. My dad said, come round to the lock-up garage, what's going to show you, kids? So I, uh, all right, what is it? We opened it, there was a Dalek in there! <laughs> oh. You see, we're living the dream, Dealey. Were you scared, though? Uh, yes, I was scared. Yeah. Can, I, can I make a personal observation?
observation about you, and I've, yeah. I've known you for about eight months now, and I, I think I can say this without offending you. You literally have no soul, do you? What do you mean by that? You're, you're cold, you're callous, you're heartless, you're soulless. No. You don't get any of the things that bring joy to life, Justin. That is not true. That is not true at all. I don't know where you're getting that impression from. When was the last time you experienced joy? Uh, last time I experienced joy was probably, um, let me think, it was um, probably a couple of weeks ago, um, right. over the football. There you go. You've answered my question, Justin. We'll speak to you later on. Doctor Who, lady, it can't, it can't happen. I swear, to, if, if Sue Perkins or a n other lady becomes the Doctor, I am going to um, get my television, dig a big hole in the back garden, throw it in, do a wee wee on it, uh, but throw rocks at it, and then smother it with earth, and never ever watch the infernal thing again. A lady Doctor. Now, protesters against the proposed incinerator in Bedfordshire met yesterday to discuss tactics, which sounds very mysterious. Whilst Covanta have put their UK interests up for sale, the company remains interested in potentially operating an energy from waste plant at Marston Mortain. Well, our political reporter, Paul Scoynes, was at the meeting. R- remind us where we're at with the site in Bedfordshire, Paul. OK, Ian, this is a rookery pit. It's a, a big one. Uh, 600,000 tonnes of black bin waste would be burnt at this particular incinerator. None of it would be from Bedfordshire as we established on this show um, and it was approved by the government inspector last year all the local councils in the area opposed it and then earlier this year Cavanta UK announced it was going to pull its UK operations uh, or look to set up or partner with somebody else on the incinerator. So they're st- they are still interested? They are still interested uh, even though that sounds like they're not um, they've spent around £11 million on it so far and speaking uh, to BBC Three Counties last month Robin Treacher from Cavanta said the company wasn't going out of business. We've already had a number of interested parties approach us um, asking if they could have more details because this offer is of interest to them. And it may not be another waste company, of course. It could be a construction company. It could be a financial institution. There are a number of uh, people who might be interested to partner with us. It wouldn't necessarily be another waste management company. But why isn't Cavanta interested in developing this operation on its own anymore? Well, it's interested in taking it to the point that it's at now, which, as you said, has taken us some years and a considerable amount of money. We now need to get through the next stage and on with the building and then the commissioning of the plant, and we very much hope to be around and on the scene to operate that plant when when it is built. So this is the one in Bedfordshire. We should add as well that uh, this one was talked about by lots of other councils uh, in the area as, as an example of why they shouldn't have one in their area. However, there's one in Buckinghamshire or that's been approved in Calvert to the north. Uh, that's going, you know, it's been through a process of judicial review, although that is looking closer to being sort of starting to be built. The one in Hatfield, um, a sort of new, uh, yeah, new Barnfield it's called, in Hatfield in Hertfordshire, uh, that is currently in, uh, going to be the subject of public inquiry, um, both of which were, were looking at this Cavanta site in Master Moortime when they were approved. So this this is a fairly significant site. We're still not really sure what's going to happen with it. Now, the, the meeting last night was protesters discussing tactics. That yes. sounds very subversive. What, what exactly <laughs> was it? Well, it, I mean, it was about 70 people in the uh, Harper Suite in, in Bedford, and they were listening to various presentations. They had Jane Green from the Zero Waste Alliance, and they had uh, Professor Paul Connett, who's an American professor who's looked into uh, the sort of the mechanics and the science of of incinerators and has found that from his perspective they don't work so zero waste was talked about first of all Uh, a quarter of our waste is food waste which we don't often recycle 
uh, Jane Green said, uh, and, and a lot of then the following waste off that is bottles, metals, paper, which isn't also recycled in a lot of places still too. And and what they were saying is that energy from waste, these these incinerators and landfill are very expensive ways of doing it, and waste recovery is the most efficient way of doing it. First, of so, all. so what zero waste? Zero waste is the principle where you don't make something unless it can either be reused, recycled, uh, or um, sort of rebuilt, turned into something else, or or you just reduce the amount of packaging that's on there. So that was the sort of concept of, of zero waste in the first instance. Yeah, good luck with that. Good luck with that. Well, so they're saying that, 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 that in, some pl- in some places they've managed to reach targets of 80%. In San Francisco, he was saying uh, that, that their, their figures have gone from around 50% in 2000 to, uh, to 80% last year. The so speaker was, was, was very against incinerators. Yes. Yes, they don't like much. them. He didn't like them, and you'll talk to him later on after eight o'clock this morning. Incineration, he said, is based on a nineteenth-century technology. It's effectively taking stuff from the ground, uh, using it, and then getting rid of it. And that is an outdated philosophy, he says. Um, waste energy, he said, is is far more uh, sort of uh, uh, using that sort of extra uh, material is far more efficient. Um, he, he said also incineration isn't sustainable. Uh, it's it waste energy and it's a wasted opportunity as well. Uh, and people should consider composting and there should be more materials which are used that can be composted you're looking slightly skeptical about I, I, this listen we, we, uh, you, of course you can compost things and of course it, it's not possible to completely zero waste and you have to get rid of this stuff somehow don't you anyway i don't know we'll speak to the gentleman later on i, I would imagine the audience of 60 or 70 lapped this up oh they did i mean there was a very uh, the thing was it was interesting having okay i grew up in milton Keynes. milton Keynes has had a sort of a philosophy of recycling since the early 90s so we've always had we had our red boxes and we had our blue boxes that we could put stuff into and and we sort of grew up with that as children what the people there and it was predominantly older people i've got to say were saying is that they've kind of switched their way of thinking they start doing things now they start recycling you know uh, everything they can they're quite passionate about it but they're saying that it's the younger people who aren't doing it. The younger people aren't taking notice of what's around them and buying plastic bottles and all these sorts of things. Yeah, just, just have a listen to these people who I speak to outside. We have compost, we have um, recyclable, we have a very small amount of leftover residue rubbish. Like Years you, ago our yeah. bin would be full, but it isn't anymore. Yeah, we're, we're upon that so bin, was that to fill up uh, mm. uh, with non recyclable yeah. stuff? Yeah. You know, we have we have turned the corner, and we are recycling quite quite a lot of uh, a lot of the material we Everything. use. Even a sweet paper, I'd recycle. I've got two compost bins, three water butts. Uh, everything. And, and how much of a change is that from what you were doing twenty years ago? Well, it's a big change. Although, having said that. 20 years ago, it wasn't quite a throwaway society. We had little metal bins, didn't we, that went in there. Now we've got these great big black bins. I fill mine up with garden waste because we only have two silly little green bags. So if you were given the opportunity to recycle even more, you probably yes. could, is that Yeah, you yeah, yes. would, yes, yeah, would, definitely. definitely. I'd, yes. like, a, I'd mm. like a bin for all the garden waste. Paul, thank you very much uh, indeed. 08459 455505. I don't want to sound hard against recyclers. I recycle. I have a little recycling bin and we, we do the stuff and we're teaching the kids to do it. I do just think there is only so far uh, you can go with these things. What do you think? Are you a recycler? Or do you think it's a load of old tosh? I, where I used to live, they would quite often, Paul, like, the, the bin men would come round. Mm. They would get the, the black bin full of rubbish and mm-hmm. put that in. They'd get the recycling bin. 
and chuck it into the back of the bin, the, the bin van. So, well, there are some. You do there, wonder. There are some with the processing plants where they sort it all out before they go in. And what he was saying was, uh, what this professor was saying was that there are some places in the states where you have a sorting centre before your waste dump. So you put all the black bins through this process where they all get sort of ripped apart and then sorted into different areas by, by mechanics, not by hand, and. Um, and then you, all the stuff you literally cannot recycle yeah. then goes into the landfill. And it's, it's, it, he said it's very, it's very clean, it's not dirty rubbish. Look at the fact there's no birds on this picture. Well, I, I, pity, the, I pity the fool that has to uh, separate my waste dump. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is Ian Lee. BBC Three Counties Radio. Coming up in the next 30 minutes, buses, gay marriage, and we could be talking about a pub on the motorway. Oh, yes, you heard me right near where I used to live, in fact. If you want to get in touch this morning, 08459 455 555, facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR, or you can send me a text, 81333, start your text 3CR. A pub on the motorway on the M40 near Beaconsfield... I don't think I've ever heard such a ridiculous idea in my life. One in seven bus journeys across beds, hearts and bucks could go if more government funding is cut. Well, that's according to the Campaign for Better Transport, which claims reducing the service could cost the economy £3.7 billion in lost time and money. Well, reporter Serena Farrow has been to Milton Keynes, where there's already been a reduction in services. She was joined by Peter Ballantyne from the Milton Keynes Bus Users Group. They both spoke to people there, including Mary Short from Bradwell, who relies on the bus to get her into Milton Keynes. It would affect me dreadfully, because the 33 is the only one out of the village, and it's only one an hour. When you haven't got transport, otherwise I'd have to walk up to Healands, which I do occasionally, and then catch the five from there, but that's the so only I'm, other way. I'm chair of the bus users group, uh-huh. and the subsidies have been cut. And that's why this round of uh, cuts were made. What the problem is, the government is trying to, I think, find an easy target and cut, as, again, the, the, the buses without realising the effect on particularly the older generation. Yeah, because, like, Bradwell is not pensioners and things without vehicles. How many times do you come into the city? Well, two or three times in the week, yeah. So it keeps you your independence at the end yeah, of the day? Yeah, that's right, yeah, it's getting out, yeah. So yeah. they had to cut £400,000 out of the subsidy. If it went to another 200000 we would lose more subsidised services. It's as simple as that. Weekdays is when you come out and see friends. Yes, yeah, I don't use it on a Sunday. Very rare. And you think that's the way to go? Do it when people are using the service less? Yeah, definitely. Because it's kinder to old folk. Well, it is. It's old folk use the buses more than youngsters. Only other sort of person that uses buses are mums with the buggies and wheelchair users, obviously. This year we've seen an 11 to 12% increase in usage, and that's people because of the cost of petrol. There's more and more people coming on the buses for the journey into town. I I mean, up until 18 months ago, I drove a car, but I had to give it up because I couldn't afford the car. And I say, now that I rely on that one bus in the village per hour, and then you've got to also work your way round going back for that hour to go back into the village. I've got family with cars, but they only take me out shopping on the Saturday and they're at work all the while. Yeah. In the village, yeah. we've got people that come on the bus, 92, 90s, you know, that still want to come out and do their own thing still, that, well, they can do it. But, it keeps them alive. But you've got a village bus, they won't be able to get out. Last bit of freedom. <laughs> Your tap dancing days are over. <laughs> Buses are convenient, though, I guess, for you. That's why you use them. To get round Milton Keynes, yeah, because everything's quite close-knit. 
it's quite a straightforward bus system. It's part of day-to-day life, yeah. If they stop the one from Stony Stratford to 5A, I haven't got a car. So you rely on the bus? I rely on it, yes. And for you, how often do you come out? I mean, is it a part of Daily. getting... Really? Yes, but not on Sundays, because I get a lift on Sundays. <laughs> so it gives you your independence, I guess? Yes, yeah. Get everything. Get to the Central Library here. Now I've got to work out how to get to Waitrose because they've moved. See yeah. some friends, family, that yes, kind of yeah, thing? yeah, yeah. It's a very good bus service that has been up to now. Yes, years ago it was awful, but now it's very good. No cuts are necessary. It's, I think it's all wrong. Every time I get on the bus, I mean, every time I get on it, the, the day pass goes up in price. Does it? Yeah, 4.20 this time. It was, I think it was 3.80 last time. It was 3.40 the time before that. So. What kind of timeline are we talking about? few months each time nothing yeah and the service keeps getting decimated and a bit more and more and a bit more still cheaper than a taxi <laughs> well that was our reporter serena farrow stay listening as we'll be hearing from Stephen joseph from the campaign for better transport in the next hour here on bbc three counties on fm am online and digital radio this is ian lee on bbc three counties radio this is an amazing story. I'm really keen to get your thoughts on this because this just sounds like a ridiculous idea to me. Britain's first motorway pub, which will be on the M40 in Buckinghamshire, has been given planning permission. JD Weatherspoons has defended its decision to open premises at Beaconsfield Services. It's just junction two of the M40. I drive past there all the time. If I'm going to go and see my mum in Gerrard's Cross, then I have to go past there. I know it very, very well. Uh, it'd be uh, Beaconsfield Services and said it would not be checking if dry- drinkers were planning to drive. The pub chain say they hope it will be the first of many such pubs on Britain's motorway network. Eddie Gershon from Weatherspoon says there's no reason why travellers shouldn't be able to buy pub food and an alcoholic drink because they're driving. There's your reason, Eddie. That's your reason, Eddie. Well, I've got to ask, are you comfortable with the idea of having a pub at motorway services? Professor Stephen Glaister, director of the RAC Foundation, said most drivers are sensible. But you have to question a policy that encourages drivers to pull off to take a break and then offers them a pint. It does, it, it does sound, not to knock Weatherspoons, I would never want to do that, but it does sound ridiculous, doesn't it? And I'm sure most people would be sensible because you, you kind of, you, you know, you, you go, hey, you go and have a pint, I'm driving, you go and have a pint. And yes, of course, you can come off the motorway and you could, a couple of miles down the road you can find a pub. You, you, it's easy to do. But does it not make it just a little bit too tempting? You pull off at the services, you're going along the M40, Junction 2, you've got a couple of hours' drive ahead of you. Oh, there's a Weatherspoons. Shall we nip in? I'll just have a half. Oh, go on, no, go on, I'll have a pint. What do you think? Am I being oversensitive? Listen, I don't drink, so what do I know? Am I being oversensitive? A pub... Uh, at a service station. It's not 1972, for goodness sakes. 08459 555. Pubs on service stations. Good idea or bad idea? So just to reiterate, Weatherspoons, the uh, um, pub chain, is going to be opening a boozer at a service station, junction to the M40, Beaconsfield. Is that a good idea or one of the worst ideas you've ever heard in your life? Peers are being urged to block controversial plans to allow gay marriage. MPs have backed the change, but there was strong opposition, and that's been reflected in the House of Lords too. Peers will vote on the issue later today after one independent peer, former West Midlands Chief Constable Geoffrey Deere, urged them not to support it, warning that it overturned centuries of tradition. Well, 
that's the point of it, isn't it? To overturn centuries of tradition. He also warned uh, about its effects on children. Parents will not have a legal right to withdraw children from lessons that endorse same-sex marriage in the curriculum. The effect on schools undoubtedly will be divisive and we should reflect on the fact that calls have already been made for children to act out gay weddings in class. Sorry? <laughs> when, when, did, when did that happen? Uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury, the most Reverend Justin Welby, said same-sex marriage bill would weaken a cornerstone of society. Well, the bill passed all its stages of the House of Commons last month, despite 161 MPs voting against. Well, the MP Ian Stewart represents Milton Keynes South. He supports the gay marriage bill, and he is gay. I think it's relevant to bring that in. Uh, normally I wouldn't. Good morning, Ian. Good morning. How important is it for you and the government for this bill to go through? Well, for me and a lot of my colleagues, uh, it is important uh, because it uh, makes equal uh, everyone in the eyes of the law when it comes to marriage. Uh, and I don't accept the notion that uh, by allowing me and, and other gay people to, who uh, love each other and want to commit uh, our lives to each other, allowing us to marry in any way diminishes the institution of marriage for anyone else. Well, this is the argument I've heard from other people, and I, I, I'm going to put it to you. I don't agree with it, so I, it's going to be hard for me to argue this point, but I'll try. If uh, you as a gay man marry another gay man, that demeans my marriage to my wife. That's the argument that's put forward quite a lot, isn't it? I, I, I have heard that argument, but I don't understand why. Why does allowing two people who love each other and want to take the responsible step uh, and commit their lives to each other in any way diminish anyone else's marriage? Uh, the, the, the point of this bill, uh, this legislation, is that it doesn't force anyone to do anything they don't want to do. What do you think when you, you, you hear um, uh, people like Geoffrey Deere just then saying that it, it, it overturns centuries of tradition and it will have detrimental effects on children? Well, mar marriage uh, as an institution has evolved over time. Uh, it's not that long ago that, uh, in law, a wife was her husband's property. Uh, that was a centuries-old tradition, uh, and quite rightly that was changed. Oh, uh, and, and, and this is just another step uh, in this. I say it doesn't force any church or any couple or any uh, priest or, or religious figure to endorse uh, marriage between people of the same sex if they don't want to. This what I listen. I'm supposed it does allow those who do want to do it to, to, to do that. I'm supposed to be vaguely impartial on these things, and I, I find it very hard on this one. I genuinely cannot see what the problem is with allowing allowing two people, whatever their inclination, to stand up in a room in front of their friends and their God and say, do you know what, I love this person and we're going to have a darn good crack at spending the rest of our lives together. What do you say to those people who think that gay marriage is wrong? Well, firstly, I say, if, you know, that there are people for whom this is not in accordance with their faith, uh, and I completely respect that, uh, and there are protections in the legislation uh, for whole churches or uh, individual priests or vicars uh, within each church not to do it if they don't want to. Uh, but the other point I'd make is if, if you look at all the other countries around the world uh, which have legalised same-sex marriage, and most recently France and New Zealand have done it, uh, although there's been a row at the time, uh, after the event, uh, there's been absolutely no problem at all, uh, and life continues as normal. Well, it's the same here as well. You, you say, we, we, we've seen the first gay marriage uh, in France. Um, uh, if it were to happen here, do you think that the detractors would eventually shut up and, and just accept it? 
Well, I, I believe that is the case. Uh, if you look at Spain, a deeply uh, conservative uh, Catholic country, uh, it legalized it a few years ago, and there was the same rows uh, in Spain as we're having here. And after the event, it's just not an issue. Uh, and we had the same argument here when civil partnerships were introduced a few years ago. There was staunch opposition to it. And now many of the people who oppose gay marriage saying, well, civil partnerships are here and work, uh, so why do we need to take this step? Uh, so you know, there's a lot of opposition at the time, but uh, I, I think it will, when it happens, it will just melt away. Is it just homophobia, Ian? No, I don't think it's homophobia. There are some people who, uh, for religious reasons or just the way that they were brought up, particularly older people uh, who grew up at a time when homosexuality as a whole was illegal, uh, that's just the way society was and that's what they're used to. And for a lot of people, it's a big step to, to accept this. By the way, kids, you heard him right. Homosexuality used to be illegal in this country within living memory. There'll be some people who don't know that. I think it's important to, to flag that up. Ian, stay there. Uh, Stephen's in Bedford. Good morning, Stephen. Good morning, Ian. Stephen, what, what's your take on this? I, I think this um, gay marriage thing is disgusting. Why is that? I think it's disgusting that we're still having this conversation this day and age. Just let them, you know, if they want to get married, let them go and marry. What's, what is it going to hurt anybody else apart from, well, nobody really? Are, are you married, Stephen? I am married. It, it, it will demean your marriage to your wife. I have it won't. You sure about that? So a lot of people are convinced it will. Um, a lot of people are stupid, aren't they? Well, how can it? How can if two blo- blokes or two ladies or two whoever wants to get married? How can that affect my marriage? I didn't get married in church anyway because I don't believe in the religion, so I can't say it's going to affect my marriage at all. Not one little bit. Stephen, I appreciate your time. Uh, d- 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 interesting point there from uh, Stephen, uh, Ian. But we do get a lot of calls, and we'll get calls this morning saying it's disgusting. Well, as I say, the, the legislation doesn't force anyone to do it if they don't want to. Ian, <laughs> so without, without delving too much, we're running out of time with that, and it's always nice to talk to you, without delving too much, are you still single? And I'm would you, I am, yeah. w- Would you, I mean, the offer of us <laughs> finding a date for you is still available. We could run a competition or something on Facebook. <laughs> well, that's very kind. If anyone's desperate to come to meet me, uh, that, that would be fine. But uh, I'm, I'm not actively looking for someone at the moment. OK, well, listen, well if, if anyone calls in, we'll, we'll uh, give you their details, we'll get a nice Thank photo, you. and we'll see if we can sort something out. Ian, always a pleasure. Uh, Ian Stewart, MP, represents Milton Keynes South. Oh, eight four five. Nine, four double five, five double five. There's no problem with gay people getting married, is there? Does does it demean your marriage? Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. It's flying pie this by this morning. Isn't it the first hour just zipped past? Didn't it? For you? Dragged a bit, did it? Well, it went very quickly for me. Possibly because I'm off for the rest of the week. And I'm keen to get home and enjoy some of the sunshine. That's the plan, anyway. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, I might find a a couple of hours to go to the pictures and watch this wonderful Liberace film, which I'm getting very excited about. I I think I may have to go onto Amazon and uh, get a couple of Liberace books. I think that's what I'll be doing. Lots coming up this morning, though, including... The Archbishop of Canterbury says the same-sex marriage bill would weaken a cornerstone of society. Well, today the House of Lords will debate the controversial change. Will gay marriage be good or bad for Britain? Is it a waste of time brushing your teeth more than once a day? A quarter of people in the UK go 24 hours without brushing. 
and protesters have voiced their concerns about plans for an incinerator in Bedfordshire. Would you have a problem having one near you? Oh, and boozers on the motorway. Really? You can send me a text, 81333. Start your text, 3CR. Or, the best way, and all of the phone lines are free right now, give me a call, 08459 455 555. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Britain's first motorway pub. Doesn't it make you feel proud to be British when you hear a sentence like that? Huh? Britain's first motorway pub, which will be on the M40 in Buckinghamshire, Junction 2, near Beckenfield, near my mum's. She'll probably like it. Uh, Has been given planning permission. J.D. Weatherspoons which is based in Watford, says it hopes the pub at Beaconsfield Services will be the first of many. It's also said it would not be checking if drivers were planning to drive. Well, do you think a pub at a motorway service station is a good or a bad idea? 08459 455 555. There will be people saying, well, it doesn't make any difference. On any motorway, you take a junction within a mile, two miles tops, you can find a little pub tucked away somewhere. So what's the difference? I guess the the, the difference is the convenience. You stop off for a Costa, or you stop off to go to Smith's to buy an overpriced bottle of water, or you stop off for a little bit of petrol, and you go, oh, there's a Weatherspoons. Shall we pop in? Just a, a, a quick glass of wine? A cheeky ale? Shall we? It's the convenience, isn't it, I suppose, that makes it so different from pubs just randomly dotted a couple of miles away from... The, uh, from the motorway. 08459 555. Well, a gentleman who loves a good uh, good drink now and then is uh, recovering alcoholic, Justin Dilly. Good morning, Justin. Thank you, Ed. You're I, welcome. I don't see what the problem is here. Sorry? I really don't, because if you look at a number of the A roads uh, throughout Beds, Hearts and Bucks, I'm on the A5 right now. I'm at the truck stop here in Markgate. There is a harvester opposite. So what is the difference between that and this motorway? Have you uh, ever been to a harvester before? Uh, yes, I have. OK. <laughs> the, di- the difference is, Justin, is the convenience of being on the motorway. You're at Junction 2. You've got another two and a half hours drive ahead of you. You stop off to get um, some magazines for the kids and uh, maybe a couple of ginsters. Oh, there's a pub. Shall we? A quick half wouldn't hurt anybody, would it? Wouldn't it? Mm, as long as you're not driving, I don't see what the problem is. That's just me personally. Um, joining me live here in the radio car is Bob Hardister. Bob, you're a professional driver. What do you think about the idea of having a pub by a motorway? Is that just a, a recipe for disaster? What do you think? Uh, yes, it is, because you have them by a motorway or anywhere people go in to drink and they don't, they're not just going to go in for you know half they'll have one and at least uh, two and three so it don't just stop at one even if they're having a meal they're still having alcohol which they don't realise it's affecting them. So it's that temptation for the driver. As Ian was saying there a moment ago, you pop in, oh, there's a pub. You can't just have one. You might have two or three. And the pub have said they're not going to be checking people. They're not going to be asking people, are you driving? Well, what's your what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, they should do, because you're going, they're not bothered if you're driving or not. They're just selling you the, the beer and the food. So they're not going to say, oh, if you're driving, you can't have beer. Otherwise, it's worse time I'm opening one. And you think in this country we should have a zero tolerance anyway, so you can't even have one pint and then drive, don't you? Yes, yeah, definitely. I mean, if you if you want to drive, you should drive. If you want to drink, you should drink. You shouldn't do both. 
but it'd be better to zero, zero tolerance and people know where they're standing. OK, appreciate your time. Thank you, Bob. No problem. That was uh, Bob joining us live, so he thinks it's a bad idea. A moment ago, in, I spoke to uh, Lynn. She's been a lorry driver for four years, and she thinks it's dangerous. Well, I, I think it is dangerous, because if they're not going to ask people if they're driving, that they're still going to serve them. Yeah. It's disaster, isn't it? Then again, as we look along here on the A5, there's a harvester over there. What's the difference between an A road and a motorway? Because you can still be served alcohol and still drive, can't you? But most people make sure that you're not driving. As far as I know. So they've got to check. As far as you're concerned, yeah. yes, open, but they need to be checking. Yeah. Are you driving? Yeah, yeah. They're not checking that people, whether people are driving or not. It's you know, stupid. And the, so there you go. Uh, two drivers this morning in, both saying that this, in actual fact, is a bad move. And the idea there that Lynn was saying, well, if they are going to be serving alcohol, they need to be checking whether people are driving. Of course, those people could lie, but but Weatherspoons have said they wouldn't be checking if drivers were planning to drive. That's a big issue there for Lynn. Justin, thank you very much indeed. Uh, we'll, we'll go to Philip in Bletchley in a second. A couple of Facebook comments on this. Uh, Darius says, it's a joke. They're asking for drink drivers to be on the road even more than they are now. Whereas Richard said, says, they already serve alcohol at that services anyway. What's the big deal? 08459 455 555. Philip's in Bletchley. Morning, Philip. Morning, Ian. A boozer um, at a motorway very... services. Good or bad idea? Bad. Very, very bad. And um, absolutely stupid. For people that can't control alcohol for a start, you know they're going to be tempted to perhaps use the motorway, go out for a quick drink, come back in. What Justin was saying about the harvest is completely different. Majority of people going in to eat might have the odd beer, but Weatherspoons and all the rest of these big companies, they're in it for one thing, cheap booze, and the consequences, Ian, of having an accident on the motorway as opposed to the A-roads, if you've had a drink and drive in, is absolutely colossal. The accidents that can be caused by alcohol on a, on a motorway would be just devastating. How, Trudy on Facebook says, if you can't execute some self-control in the services on the motorway, then you shouldn't be behind the wheel of a car. The attitude that just because one person might have too much means we spo- spoil it for everyone makes me angry. It- that one person could kill 10 or 12 people on a motorway. And the other thing is that when you get groups of lads and girls, is it Weatherspoons that are going in? It's the Weatherspoons, yeah cheap booze. Uh, some youngsters, unfortunately, are too young to appreciate how strong alcohol is. And they might get tempted to have one over the top. As I say, I think it's just a st- absolutely stupid idea. Philip, thank you very much indeed. John's in Stevenage. Morning, John. Good morning. Uh, um, excuse me, I'm losing my voice, but I was a lorry driver for 20 years and they offer overnight parking for large commercial vehicles. And lorry drivers get bored and one will coax the other and they'll end up in there drinking three, four, five, six beers, get up at six o'clock in the morning and put a 44-ton truck on the road. Weatherspoons need to act more responsibly. Is it... Do Weatherspoons need to act uh, responsibly or is it the responsibility of the drivers to to know what the the limits are? It's on both sides, Ian, but... You, you know yourself, when you put temptation in front of people, some can resist and some can't, and that's human nature. We're not computers. We haven't been programmed to do this or that. But there are, there are lots of pubs, aren't there, John, that are just off the motorway, a mile and a half away from... from uh, well, I know a pub a mile away from Junction 2 that people could stop off in. So it, does it really make such a difference? Uh, I totally agree. Some truck drivers will walk two miles because they can't help themselves. Some won't. And 
I'm just concerned that we're making it too easy for large commercial vehicle drivers by putting them in a place of such convenience to obtain alcohol when they really shouldn't be. John, listen, go and rest your voice, mates, and uh, thank you for that. Uh, Lorraine on Facebook says, It's not an actual motorway service station. It's located off the motorway, and you can get there without touching the M40. Well, it is classed as a motorway service station, and yes, you can get there without touching the M40, although um, uh, there's a pub about a mile down the road from it, and then the nearest kind of village, uh, which is Farnham Common, is a couple of miles away. So you wouldn't be strolling down there. You'd have to drive there uh, to get there. And I've been there several times. I know it very, very well. You wouldn't go there for a night out. You're not going to go to the M4, uh, Junction 2 services for, for a night out. She continues, It's no different to pubs all over the country that near motorways. Weatherspoons make most of their profits from food sales, and their prices will be better than the overpriced food usually available. Well, I don't know. Have you noticed the price of food? The price of everything at motorway service stations. The Burger Kings, the Smiths, the Marks. Everything costs a fortune in there. Same as the petrol. It's like, hey, we're, we're, a, we're a foreign country. We're miles from anything. I know, let's just pluck a figure out of our backsides and charge £2.50 for a small bottle of water. You want, you want a, a Burger King? Oh, that, yeah, that's going to be three ninety nine. They do cost a fortune. To me, it seems just the most ridiculous idea. I remember when they started selling cans of lager in petrol stations. Do they still do that? They might still do that. There was a furore uproar when they started doing that. And it, it does just seem that uh, any opportunity to make drinking a little bit easier for drivers is a bad idea. I am one of those people that, that, that thinks you shouldn't be allowed to have one drink when you drive. I once had uh, a, a, a pint of beer before I was driving. I know exactly. And it's a pint of beer. Uh, uh, but driving that car, I thought, well, do you know what? I don't feel I don't. I'm not 100%. Felt very uncomfortable. Spaced out man. I felt very uncomfortable after a pint. Never did it again. Never did it again. I think there should be zero tolerance when it comes to booze. Because you don't know. It could affect you if you've not eaten. Uh, if you're a little bit tired. It can affect you in different ways, can't it? 08459 455 555 is the phone number. Boozers on motorway service stations. Have Weatherspoons uh, got a good idea here? Are they tapping into um, something that needs to be tapped into? Or is it one of the worst ideas you've ever heard? (laughs) Bus users, by the way, the uh, synthesiser keyboard at the end of that sting is played by our very own Paul Scoynes. Bus users across beds, hearts and bucks want the government to support bus services after many have already been cut. There's set to be a spending review later this month. Well, the campaign for better transport fears more routes will be affected. Stephen Joseph is from this group and joins me now. Good morning, Stephen. Good morning. Stephen, what's the worst that can happen? Well, uh, the, the worst that can happen is that we'll see a very large number of bus services cut. Um, well, not all of them, because some of them are run commercially, but um, the ones that run in the evenings and weekends will disappear because the um, funding and, the, and fares will increase because the grants that government gives to local authorities and to operators are under threat in the spending review that the government's doing at the moment, which is going to be announced at the end of this month. And tell me how that will affect people. Well, we've already seen um, some places in the three counties um, reducing services. Luton just cut a lot of services um, uh, that they were funding before um, because of of budget cuts and because of the cost of, of, of providing services out of hours. 
What solutions are there for local councils and bus companies? If, if funding is being cut, and, and funding's being cut everywhere, isn't it? And, and these companies are running commercial businesses, there's nothing they can do, is there? Well, that's why we're, 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 we're asking the government to uh, find ways of keeping the funding that they're, they're giving um, uh, going. Actually, what we've argued to the government nationally is the benefits of having um, good bus services aren't uh, in the transport budgets. They're um, for the Department of Work and Pensions because the bus- buses get people to work. Um, and so if you take away bus services, it's more difficult to get people um, off benefits and into work. Um, it, it, they, they fall on the Department of Health because it, they get people to hospitals uh, and uh, Department of Education. So those uh, departments should pay towards having good bus services. When will we know about any changes, Stephen? Well, they'll, they'll, uh, the initial announcement of the overall funding for buses will come out after the spending round at the end of this month, and then it will gradually work their way into budgets for the next year or two. But uh, it's worth saying that we've already seen cuts in, in funding for bus services, um, and some of the local authorities in the three counties have been able to protect uh, services. And, and we've also been running um, work, there's also been work done in places in uh, the uh, in three counties that have made buses better. So there are things councils can do. Um, in Leighton Buzzard, for example, the, the council there uh, got a deal between the developers and new housing to pay for bus services to that housing, and that's um, been very successful. In St Albans, we've um, helped uh, organise a partnership with between all the bus operators and the local councils, and that's been rolled out to Watford and Hemel Hempstead. So there are things that councils can do to make buses better, but um, against the background of cuts in overall funding, it's going to be very difficult for those to uh, keep services running. Do you think it's a lost cause, Stephen? No, I don't think it's a lost cause, because I think it's increasingly being recognised that um, if you want people to get off welfare and into work, if you want to get people into education and training, you need to make sure there are bus services there. And I think that uh, idea is being accepted across government increasingly, and uh, we hope that um, government will uh, accept uh, this and keep funding uh, going. Stephen Joseph uh, from the Campaign for Better Transport. Thank you very much. 08459 455 525. I love the bus. Always my preferred mode of transport. If I've, got a, if I've got a little bit of extra time, particularly when I'm in London, I do like getting a double-decker bus in London, sitting at the top, at the front, pretending I'm driving. Oh, it's like a marvellous adventure. Call 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Bring back smoking on the top deck. That's what you want. That'll get people on the buses. Smoking on the top deck. Now, let's get more on the news that waiting times at accident and emergency units in hospitals across England are at the highest level they've been for nine years. That's according to the think tank The King's Fund, which shows that more than 300,000 patients had to wait more than four hours in A&E during the first three months of this year. It works out to be an increase of nearly 40% compared to the same time last year and means that the government's failed to meet its target aimed at keeping waiting times low. Claire Gerarda is from the Royal College of GPs and says it indicates a wider strain on the NHS. What that translates to is our emergency department heaving under the workload and also our general practice heaving under the workload. And unless we have a systematic approach to all of this, I'm afraid the NHS will grind to a halt. 
Well, our reporter Gavin Lee has more on this. Gavin, talk us through the details of this research. Well, it's significant because, you know, the government's got this um, imposed guideline of uh, how many patients should be seen within four hours. 95% should be seen within that target, and this clearly breaches it. 5.9% of uh, patients uh, within the first three months of this year were seen outside of four hours, so that equates to 313,000 people. And it's got credence, this report, because the King's Fund put it together, and they are a well-respected think tank. They've been tracking various departments, various areas of the NHS for the past two years, and it's confirm what others have talked about. There is this severe strain in a and e units across England and you know, if you look at January, February, March this year, you compare that to any other year you know, it's 40% higher in the same period for last year and the year before it's the worst level on average of waiting in an A&E for, for nine years. But I should say, looking at the last five weeks, although it's a small uh, comparison, the, the most recent uh, time suggests things are starting to improve. Does this indicate that there is a wider strain on the NHS at the moment? Well, I think most analysts and experts would say there's a few factors. One is, one clearly, if you, uh, the, it's a known sort of old quote about the um, A&E and about casualty um, treatment, that if you look at it, it's often a barometer for, for wider problems, if there are problems with squeezes there. Uh, but people would, many sort of experts in the NHS would say there are a few other factors. One is that when winter went on so long, didn't it? The cold weather well beyond Easter, that didn't help. There's the turbulent launch, and that's an understatement, of the 111 phone line, which resulted in many ambulances taking to people, uh, taking people to A&E who did not need to go, and the much longer term issues which the system copes with the ageing population, the slow progress in making care happen closer to home which has been the long term vision uh, for the health service, and you know it's not going to help these statistics uh, quote some occasions where in some hospitals people on the margins if you like that haven't been treated in four hours have been treated in trolleys in corridor which you know clearly is it, putting pressure on the government to act and so much so that the opposition today, the Labour Party are calling for an emergency debate in the Commons on this. Uh, what's been the response from the government? Well, they say overall the NHS is performing well. They quote the figure for the past five weeks and say that they are meeting their target with 95% of patients being seen within four hours. Uh, they blame Labour for what they say is a disastrous NHS um, GP contract nine years ago, which changed responsibility for out-of-hours care. Um, but then you have Labour's Andy Burnham saying cuts in social care budgets are to blame because elderly people with complicated illnesses have been turning up in higher numbers to A&E um, so that has a knock-on effect for the rest of the system. Uh, ultimately, we're going to hear a lot about this because of this emergency de- debate, either uh, later today or tomorrow morning. Gavin, can I ask you a personal question? And yes. it is personal. Yeah. How often do you brush your teeth? Twice a day. Do you really... Now, be honest. Yeah. Do no, you... Re- i tell you why. Because sometimes three times... I drink black tea. And black tea is the worst thing for teeth ever. Yes. Uh, because, obviously, there's no milk in it and the tannin stains it so much. So, that's why. Did you just say you sometimes brush your teeth three times a day? When I've, if I've had, I'm a big, I'm like Tony Benn, I drink about eight litres a day. So if I've, if I've had a dinner and I have my obligatory three cups of tea, you know, I, there's, there's a brush going on. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Gavin. I've never heard that phrase before. There's a brush going on. Gavin Lee, thank you very much. Well, how often do you brush your teeth? We'll be talking about this in a bit. Some people don't brush their teeth well they, they, they can take a couple of days between teeth brushing i hate that if i and occasionally i forget to brush my teeth when i come into work because i'm up early blah 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 and uh, my all oh, my teeth feel horrible and dirty and they look all yellow but most times i only brush my teeth once a day once a day what's wrong with that sometimes i, I brush it twice a day but once a day hey guess how many fillings i've got zero fillings so in your face naysayers Mm. That's what I'm talking about.
Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. You wait till we do washing your hands after you've had a wee next week. Oh, it's going to be the phone in that'll set the three counties alight. Not literally. Uh, 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 Weatherspoons is opening a boozer on uh, Junction Two services M forty near Beaconsfield. I know it very very well. Is that a great idea? Dave's in Luton. Morning, Dave. Good morning. Is it a good idea to open a pub on a motorway services? I bet the police will be rubbing their hands to pieces, mate, when they're sitting in that car park, waiting for you to come out, get in that car and go up the motorway, because they'll stop you straight away. Because you, you can really, you can only drink half a pint now, I've been told by a doctor. And you've got the blood in your, the, the beer in your bloodstream. Yes. Which you can be pulled up and half a pint with a breathalyzer, you can be um, point deducted and everything else. But especially on a motorway, what a stupid idea. I, don't, I, I, I thought that, and I don't want to encourage, I, I have a zero tolerance for people drinking when they're driving, but I think you can drink more than half a pint. And I don't think you well, get points deducted, do you? I think you lose your licence. No, you, at certain points you uh, get points deducted. If you watch the cops on the right on the television some nights, oh right, yeah, you'll see that where they've pulled up and they. Is points, that is that where you've learnt all about the laws of the land no, by watching? The, 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 no, no, no. But um, it's a stupid idea. But I bet the police will be rubbing their hands against this because, especially on a motorway. In fact, if they do get points. They shouldn't get points. They should lose their licence. I, I think they do lose their licence. If you're caught drink driving, I'm pretty sure... And I could be wrong, David, and someone will be phoning me up now to correct me if I'm wrong. But I'm pretty sure if you get caught drink driving, you don't get points, you lose the old licence. No, it's at a certain point. OK, it's, you've got... You, you go to a certain point, You've got you? this I'm some speed camera like. action or something. Well, I don't know. But, OK. Um, well, well, for David, we'll, we'll put it out there. You've opened up a, a boozy can of worms. I always assumed if you got stopped drink driving, you lost your licence. I got stopped um, and breathalyzed once. It was because I was lost. I, wasn't, I hadn't been drinking. I was lost, and so I was weaving around very slowly, trying to find my... Years ago. And I was terrified. And they pulled me over. Would you step out of the car, sir? I haven't had a drink. Would you step out of the car, sir? I honestly, I haven't. And then I'm thinking, well, when did I have a drink? Maybe I did have a drink, and I was so drunk I'd forgotten about it. I passed. You have to blow really hard on those breathalyzer machines. The first one I didn't do properly. We'll have to do it again, sir. Oh, I'm really sorry. If you go out drink driving, uh, you've, you've had a pint. You, you, you lose your license completely, I think, don't you? A little bit of quick research reveals you're absolutely right. It's a driving ban for at least one year. Well, there you go, you see. But that gentleman got it from police camera action, so it must be right. If Alistair Stewart told him about it, then maybe. Well, Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much. And that's your latest news and sport. More from me at eight o'clock. I may have had my microphone up for a large portion of that news. And I know may- I could hear you. Did you hear this? Well, I can hear pens clicking and a bit of rustling about. Well, I was just... Um, Are you uh, biting your nails? I'm going to pack that in. Uh, no, I'm not going to pack it in. As you know, I lead a very, very stressful life <laughs> with me being a, a high-powered celebrity. It's oh, yeah. constantly under pressure. Is Anthea Turner going to return my text or is she <laughs> not going to return my text? She hasn't returned my text, but uh, that's the kind of pressure I'm living under, Catherine Boyle. So just, you know, watch out. But you'll have fingers like pig's trotters. No one wants that on the telly. Hmm... Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is Ian Lee. BBC Three Counties Radio. That's the reason. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Lots coming up in the next 30 minutes, including gay marriage, uh, pubs, uh, on the motorway and hairdressers. We're ticking all of the boxes today, but before that... 
It's been announced that disabled drivers using three hospitals in Hertfordshire won't now have to pay for car parking. West Hertfordshire Hospital's uh, NHS Trust have considered charging blue badge holders for parking at hospitals in St Albans, Hemel Hempstead and Watford. We covered this story when the consultation was launched. Here's what people told Justin Dealey at the time. I can understand the shortages of money, but this hospital's making a fortune out of these car parks. I'm here for an hour and it's cost me £4. Well, Ingrid, you do have a blue badge. You parked here at the hospital in St Albans. How would you feel if you had to pay for that like everybody else here? I think it would be very disappointing uh, going by the number of times that we have to go to the hospital. And £4 is a lot of money. We're not usually there for four hours. So I think it's that they're overcharging in that respect as well. But, yes, it, having been registered disabled since the mid-'80s... Um, I think I find it quite a shock that they're even considering it. No, I think they should be able to park free. They have enough to cope with in life with the disability, so let's do all we can to help them. But following a survey, which more than 3,000 people took part in, it was decided not to charge disabled people for parking. Well, joining me now is Louise Gaffney, who's from West Hertfordshire Hospital's NHS Trust. Good morning, Louise. Morning, Ian. Well, well done. When you came on before, I must admit, I was slightly sceptical. You did say that you would listen to people. It would appear that you have listened to people, and you've made the decision not to charge blue badge holders. That's right. I mean, uh, it's been an overwhelming response, which we're really pleased with. It's the first time we've done a listening exercise um, of this type and this scale, and we've had over 3,000 responses. Uh, so thank you very much, in part also to yourself, in terms of for covering the story. Um, we had lots of people that responded online, lots of people filled in um, paper questionnaires which were on site, and lots of people coming back with free posts. Um, and we had a fair response from both patients and visitors and from West Hart's Hospitals Trust employees. So it's a 50-50 split, more or less in terms of the type of respondents we had. Um, so we feel, um, in terms of listening to people, um, that we've, we've really made some connections here with the local community and we want to continue and make those connections that we've done. Um, it has shown us, however, that the, you know, it's such a wide-ranging um, subject and issue to be discussed. And as some of your listeners showed there, um, there's very opposing views in terms of what we should and shouldn't do. Um, all of them are equally valid, and yet none of them are affordable all at the same time. So what, what were the main points raised by this survey? Well, the main points have been that, um, I mean, we had, uh, to give you some of the statistics, um, that 90% um, of people felt that frequent visitors or attendees to the hospital should get reduced parking charges rates, which is actually what we do, and it just shows us we need to communicate that more. 75% um, of people said that disabled users shouldn't be, um, shouldn't be subsidised by other parking users, yet 60% of people um, said that actually disabled people should have um, free parking, which is obviously why we've gone down the route of making sure that blue badge holders shouldn't be charged, uh, and yet we do obviously need to find the funding to make that happen from other routes. There's and where will that funding time. come from? Will, will uh, able-bodied people um, be paying more to subsidise the disabled parking? Well, 37% of people have actually um, opted to choose option three, which is a graded charge for parking. Um, so, um, interestingly, that does mean that people have opted to charge more per, uh, to pay more per hour, uh, but it does mean they will be able to pay just for the hour that they're staying, um, or for the two hours they're staying. Um, um, but one of the, um, so people will be paying more? 
Well, that's what people have opted for uh, on an hourly basis. People didn't have a choice to pay on an hourly basis before, and that's what people have chosen to do. Uh, so we need to listen to that. I think one of the issues with that, Ian, is that well, that was the only option that gave a graded charge, um, and it actually takes away all the, 30 free, the, the free 30-minute charging. So what the Trust Board have said to do is we're not comfortable um, with taking away all of the free parking. Um, and so what we're going to do is have a look at that with the transport group um, and say, actually, What's a, what's a fair and reasonable way to move forward with this? Because what we recognise, and again, it's about the listening again, is that 24% of people didn't choose an option because they felt as though there was different ways to actually um, do that structured charging. So we're going to look again at the structure of the charging and then come back with a different proposal which sort of says, which allows some 30-minute bays where people can drop off because I think that's what people are very anxious about. They want to drop something in at the hospital um, and then come out. They're not, very, they're not staying for very long. And then also look at the charging per hour. But just to clarify, some people will be paying more money to parking, you just haven't decided what those fees will be yet. That's that's what people have chosen, Ian, in terms of the graded structure. What what percentage chose that? Sorry? What percentage chose that? 37% of people Ah. opted for that, but what we're saying... That's not the majority, is it? Well, that was the majority in terms of the people choosing. Uh, and so what, what I'm trying to get across is that 24% of people didn't choose an option, but we did have over 500 people um, come to us and say, these are different ways of structured charging. We think you should look at that. So what we, what we want to do is look at that and say, oh, um, let's see if we can have a different way of grading okay. the charges so that we really are listening because we want to get into those 582 comments about what were the different ways that people said that they could... Um, there, there will be some people listening who will be, will be slightly... Uh, uh, I think it's great news that disabled people won't have to pay. But there will be some people listening who are furious and, and slightly concerned that they will be subsidising disabled parking and that their parking will be going up. I, I think that's the dilemma that we have, in. Uh, but we are trying to listen to people. Uh, there has been sort of such a range of views come through. Um, so 80, 88% of people um, said that staff shouldn't be charged more to reduce patient charging. Um, there were um, 70% of people who responded saying that the trust should actually make a little bit of surplus in order to pay for the maintenance and do different things with the environment for the parking. So as you can see, we can't make everything mix. And I think this is why um, the listening exercise has been so valuable. Um, it's such a complex issue and there's a wide range of emotive um, and opposing views. And as I said, um, equally valid, and yet we've got to come out with a, a solution that we can move forward with. Was the consultation expensive? How much was it and was it money well spent? Um, it was money well spent. It was only um, it was it was a minimal amount of money in terms of what we paid the independent um, company who actually collated all the results for us. Uh, I think what it's shown is such as you know over three thousand people responding is a huge amount uh, to any to any survey. Um, and what we've made is the connections with we're now membership of Network St Albans and Network Watford and Watford and Decorum. Um, we're discussing with the bus companies about different ways of passing um, of offering discounted fares to staff coming the hospital um, and obviously made connections with the different transport groups who now will be part of our transport group moving forward who will work with us on the, on the charging regime. Louise, you said you'd come back and I appreciate the fact you did. When, you, when you've decided on the, um, the, the pricing structure for the parking, could we speak to you again? Of course, yes. We're planning f- um, for that to be um, implemented within the next couple of months okay. and not, bef- no, not before that. Fantastic. So, uh, I'd be very happy to do that. Louise, thank you very much indeed. Louise Gaffney from West Hertfordshire Hospitals NHS Trust. I like it when someone is challenged uh, but says, oh, you know, I'll come back on, and does come back on, because she did. She was challenged last time, and she did come back on. Quite often people say, oh, yeah, yeah, no, no, we'll come back on and talk about that, and then they never return our calls. So well done to Louise uh, for doing that. Steve's in Luton. Morning, Steve. 
Morning. What do you think about the parking in hospitals? It should be free. Why? It should be. Why, why shouldn't it? Why should, why, why should the taxpayer foot the bill for other people? It should be a, a playing field, just a level playing field. Well, hang on. If it, was, day, if it was free, free if it was free, then the taxpayer would be footing the bill. So you've well, just yeah, argued yeah, against yeah. yourself. <laughs> oh, no. You have, well, you have, Steve. You've just argued against yourself. <laughs> yeah, but at the end of the day, we, pay, we spend £15 billion to go in foreign aid. We can take the money out of that. No, no but then we'd sit the taxpayer. The initial point was the taxpayer shouldn't foot the bill. We should all have free parking. So if we had yeah, we free parking, free the taxpayer would be footing the bill. I don't care about it. At the end of the day, there's but, loads of things we pay. I'm fed up. The taxpayer pays too much for everything. But we the taxpayer... <laughs> Steve, listen to yourself. You're arguing, your, you're arguing up your own backside. You just said... Yeah, I just said, well, at the end of the day, that's what I'm saying. I want free car But when I go to the hospital to visit someone, I don't want to go and get changed out want, of my pocket when I'm going to see someone. Right, that's you, what I'm on about. Not about the big issue of you the want, whole government and the whole country. OK, you want, so you want free parking hospitals? Yeah, right. That's who's what go- I'm on about. Who's going to pay for that? I don't know. Some, well, they can find money for wars. They can find so the taxpayer will pay for it? Well, eventually, yeah. He's gone. <laughs> I, think, I think Steve may have just self-imploded there. I think that conversation may have been too much for him. Steve, thank you. 08459 555. Free parking in hospitals would be wonderful. Be great. I've got a, I'm, I'm spending a, a, a lot of this coming week at a hospital. Free parking would be wonderful. But it's not feasible for several reasons. One, if the hospital is near a town, then everyone will go, oh, yeah, there's free parking at the hospital. Let's just go and park in the hospital. Instead of having to put some money in the meter or phone up the, the, the pay online service or go to the local NCP, we'll go and park in the hospital. So that's one reason why you have to charge is a deterrent. And also you have to charge to maintain the car park. So I, I can understand why there is charging at hospitals. I think it may be a little bit too much. I think it could be a little bit expensive, especially if you're there for all, all day. But, um, yeah, Steve, I appreciate your call. Thank you very much indeed. 08459 455 555 is the uh, phone number if you want to give us uh, a call on that or any of the things. We'll be talking about teeth a little bit later on. The reason is it turns out some people don't brush their teeth every day. Now, that, that is disgusting. That my um, second ever real snog, okay, second ever real snog, was after the um, uh, uh, the young lady in question who'd had a bag of um, what's it? Not what's it? What's it's Monster Munch, pickled onion Monster Munch. I remember it perfectly well. So while I'm thinking, yeah, this is brilliant. I'm getting my second ever snog in my life. This is wonderful. And I'm also thinking, is it meant to taste of of uh, onion flavoured Monster Munch? It's slightly kind of it was a weird mix it means i can only sleep with ladies that have eaten monster munch no it doesn't at all it was a weird mix of excitement and also disappointment and oh monster munch so you know the people who don't brush their teeth every day shame on you dirty 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 but to brush your teeth twice a day do we really need to i don't think so i, I brush my teeth generally once a day sometimes twice a day and that's a recent development uh, i have no fillings whatsoever and I'm 40 very, very soon. So, is it really that bad? This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. A public meeting was held in Bedford last night to talk about incineration. Opponents of the planned site at Rookery Pit near Marston Mortain arranged the gathering. The American company Covanta, which was going to run the site, is now looking to share the costs or find another buyer. 
Local opponents are looking at how best to oppose any future development. Well, these residents of Bedford told our reporter, Paul Scoynes, there was too much packaging of materials. Simply buying things like toothpaste, you really need an outer sleeve. Do you need, do you need like, four boxes within four boxes for a, for a box of aftershave? You know, it, it's those wider issues that, that not only, you know, the incineration of rubbish is is daft from a physics point of view. I mean, I've been to Buckinghamshire quite a bit and the Bucks County Council are adamant that this is the only way that they're going to meet their targets. It's the only way they're going to save money. They keep saying that they're losing a a million pounds a month. You know, as as much as it would be nice for some politicians to whip me into into binning rubbish, it literally comes down to, to, is it moral maybe? Sort of a consciousness of what you're doing. Because it's very short-term, like it's a short-term view, isn't it? They're Absolutely. not thinking longer-term and the savings that they could make in the longer-term. They go for quick fixes. Absolutely. They're looking in, for a silver yeah. bullet, aren't they? Well, in the studio now is the main speaker, Professor Paul Connett, who's an expert in environmental technology. Good morning to you, Paul. Good morning. What's your main argument against this, this type of incinerator? Completely inappropriate for the 21st century. It's not sustainable. Every time you burn something, you have to go all the way back to the beginning of extraction of raw materials, shipping them around the world, manufacturing. All these steps involve a huge amount of energy, a huge amount of pollution, all contributing to, to global warming. We can get off that treadmill by recycling by reusing by repairing by composting but we're going in exactly the opposite direction when we burn things this is in a in addition to the health uh, consequences and despite the claims of in of the incinerated industry it doesn't get rid of landfills mm. for every four tons that you burn you get one ton of ash which is toxic and that's got to go somewhere nobody wants it um i'm very glad that covanter seems to be getting out of england um i, I think they realize the market is not there Europe has a huge overcapacity as far as incineration is concerned right now. Germany, Netherlands, Sweden and Norway are all importing waste to feed their monsters. And all all the time you do that, all the time you're importing waste to feed an incinerator, you're not doing the right thing. There was talk last night of of, uh, zero waste. And you mentioned Mm. that we could do more recycling, we can change the way things Mm. are packaged. It's a nice idea, but wouldn't it take such a colossal shift in our society for that to work? We, we need a colossal shift in our society to go from a throwaway society to a sustainable society. We are talking about sustainability here, and if you think you can get to sustainability with your hands in your pockets, you've got another thing coming. We're going to have to work very hard. When people hear the term zero waste, they think it's unrealistic. What they're thinking about is the community doing everything. And my attitude is that to get to zero waste, we need a combination of community responsibility and industrial responsibility. And to make that concept simple, we, people are familiar with the three R's, reduce, reuse, recycle, and, of course, compost. That's the community responsibility. We need a fourth R, which is redesign, and that's industry's responsibility. In other words, we have to say to industry, if we can't reuse it, recycle it, or compost it, you shouldn't be making it. We need better industrial design for the 21st century. But realistically, and it's, it's a great yeah. idea, yeah. that's <laughs> never going to happen, is it, though? Well, wait a moment, wait a moment. Um, first of all, we've got cities like San Francisco that are now up to 80% Reduction, diversion from landfill without using incineration. That's a population of 850,000. And their goal is zero waste 
or very close by 2020. So on the municipal level, we know we can achieve it. On the industrial level, those companies, and of course I'm talking about durable goods now as opposed to throwaway objects, but those companies making durable goods like motor cars, television sets, computers, you name it, that have adopted a zero-waste practice have come back and universally said we are saving money and that's a terrific message to industry to do the right thing for the environment and to save money they save money on production costs and money on disposal costs when they adopt a zero waste program you mentioned recycling there will be people listening to the show because i've spoken to them and go well hang on a second why should i bother why should i bother putting my glass bottles into one bin and, and my plastic bottles into the green one and what, what's it going to do with me and what's the attitude you're combating isn't yeah, it yeah absolutely well the ad the, 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 what's it to, to do with them they have children they have grandchildren we're talking about their future the the whole thing about this zero waste program which i outlined last night with 10 basically fairly simple uh, steps simple to say at the uh, but um not so simple to carry out but the the the, the message here is that it's better for the economy. You, there are more jobs in recycling, reuse, repair. It's better for the environment. You've got less toxics to worry about. You're not propelling nanoparticles into the air. It's better for our universities because it gives them more relevance if they get involved with designing for the future and for sustainability. It's better for the planet. It's more sustainable. And it's better for our children because it offers them more hope. I mean, it must be pretty depressing being a 12, 13, 14-year-old now, listening to the news every day, global warming, ozone damage, loss of forests, loss of species, toxics in babies when they're born, plastics in the ocean. We're telling our kids there's no future. Well, I think we must tell them there is a future. And if they, and if they can relate to this enormous challenge to move from a throwaway society to a sustainability society, they might get angry and frustrated, but they're never be bored this is the biggest challenge that we've ever been faced with other than war isn't there a little bit of scaremongering in your tactics though you talk about infant death uh, mm. from from these incinerators the emissions would be monitored wouldn't they no <laughs> unfortunately i wish they could there is no regulation and no monitoring of nanoparticles and qu- quite frankly i don't want to scare people i want people to see the the real positive message here we are talking about community Communities organizing uh, for a better a better future, um, protecting their food, protecting their water, protecting the, getting the resources from their waste and using these to create jobs and small businesses. All of that goes up in smoke if you build an incinerator. So some people look at that smoke and you say, you know, the scary business about dioxins and heavy metals. But when I see that smoke now, I think of the jobs that are being lost, the small business opportunities that are being lost and and losing the real opportunity to move forward to fight global warming and so on. Don't some of these incinerators, the, the one they're looking at in Rookery uh, Pit, for example, they generate energy from waste? Uh, they waste energy. They should be called waste to energy plants. Three to five times as much energy is actually saved when you reuse and recycle materials compared to when you, you burn them. You see, it's the embedded energy. We've put a lot of energy into these products. We've put the energy of extraction of raw materials, the energy of transport, the energy of manufacture. You can't get any of that back when you burn the materials. You only can get 25% of the calorific value in a modern incinerator. 
but you don't tap back into that energy that has been spent invested in those products if on the other hand you recycle you cut out the impacts of extraction if you reuse you cut out the impacts of both extraction and manufacture and if you avoid reduce then you cut out all the impacts not a huge turnout of the meeting last night, 60, 70 people. Aren't you just preaching to the converted at these kind of gatherings? No, there were. I, afterwards, I noticed that several questions were quite challenging. Uh, they weren't all um, on our side at all. Uh, I really can't speak to how many people will come out on a sunny evening to hear a talk about waste. It's not the most appealing subject until uh, until you're threatened. And, and that's um, what we've seen is uh, over my 20... I've been involved with this for 28 years. And what I've seen is the anti-incineration movement morph, evolve into the pro-zero-waste, pro-sustainable movement. And I'm happier to be in that. I'm happier to be positive, to have a positive message. But again, it's it's the threat of incineration that really gets people out to meetings. Well, Paul, we have to end it there. Thank you very much for coming in. Go and enjoy the sunshine. I am going to. Forget about incineration. I am going to. I'm going to. uh, (laughs) Professor Paul Connett, thank you very much indeed. Get the latest news and sport online at BBC bbc.co.uk slash three counties <sighs> just felt like a sigh <sighs> me too sometimes a sigh is, is all you need and then you pick yourself up and you move on This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Well, what's coming up in the next hour of the show? I shall tell you what. Weatherspoons want to open a pub at Junction 2 of the M40 at the service station. Well, what do you think? Would you stop off for a little cheeky pint on the way into London or the way up the M40? Good idea or bad idea? Is it a waste of time brushing your teeth more than once a day? How often do you brush yours? And protesters have voiced their concerns about plans for an incinerator in Bedfordshire. Is there really a problem with having one near you? Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. By the way, if you go to the Facebook page, you'll see a rather erotic image of myself pretending to be a dentist examining Justin Dealey's mouth. I know, it's, it's got everybody hot under the collar. You can send me a text, 81333. Start your text, 3CR. Or you can give me a call, 08459 455 555. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Well, Britain's first motorway pub, which will be on the M40 in Buckinghamshire, has been giving the thumbs up. Doesn't that make you proud to be British? Someone thought that was a good idea. J.D. Weatherspoon, which is based in Watford, says it hopes the pub at Beaconsfield Services will be the first of many. The company has received a licence which will allow it to serve alcohol uh, from 8am to 1am seven days a week. It also said it would not be checking to see if drinkers were planning to drive. Well, what do you think? 
Is a pub at a motorway service station a good or a bad idea? Well, we sent Justin Dealey to the non-pub-based uh, Toddington services. Morning, Justin. Yes, hello, Ian. I was on the uh, A5 earlier talking to lorry drivers, and they thought this was a terrible idea. I'm now at Toddington, and similar views coming in again. This is what professional drivers have been saying to me in the last 30 minutes or so. Danny, you've heard about this idea of the Weatherspoons pub at Beaconsfield. Is that absolute madness? What do you think? Yeah, I do think it's madness, personally. I mean, uh, it's a service. You can't go there by walking. You have to drive there. And it's just, with the, you know, with the drink-driving thing, it's, it's crazy. You know, I, I wouldn't put it there myself. You know, it's, uh, at the end of the day, you've either got to have a designated driver or just don't go there. You've got pubs in the towns. Why bring them out onto the motorways? Mark, you're a professional driver. Does it make any sense to have a pub by a motorway? No. It, to me, it does not make any common sense at all. Um, it's just, it just seems like a, an advert for trouble. Just, it just looks like just an accident waiting to happen to me. So it's going to encourage more people to drink drive then? Um, yes, I, I think so. I think it's, it's, it's just a, te- it's a temptation that we don't need on the roads, I think. Daryl, I'm trying to find anybody who thinks that a pub by a motorway is a good idea. Do you think it's a good idea? No. Why would you try and entice people into drinking when they're supposed to be driving? And let's have a final word with yourself, Steve. Steve, having a pub on a motorway, is that just dangerous? It can be, yes. Can you tell us why? It, it can encourage drink and driving and people have got to police themselves. By, by doing it. Some people are quite excited about the prospect of having a Wetherspoon simply because of the food. Nothing to do with alcohol. You can't get good food on motorway services. Like, people don't always want Burger Kings and things like that. Having a bit of variety, yes, I agree with. But not, not, not too much to drink. Like, can they make an alcohol-free pub or something? Well, an alcohol-free pub is, is just a corner shop. <laughs> it's not going to happen. But you do it, Justin. You, you, you're a, you've got a long journey. It's a hot day. You're driving all across the country on the motorway. You pull off. You go in. Oh, there's a boozer there. I, mm. I'll have a half, a half a lager. Would you do that? I wouldn't do it personally, no. But um, I think that man makes an interesting point at the end there, that the people will be policing themselves. Because, at uh, the chain have said, they're not going to be checking. They're not going to be asking people, are you going to be driving? But to be fair, even if they did ask that question, people could lie anyway but but Ian I often drive to my local pub and I'll often go in I'll have something to eat maybe a coke and then I'll drive home I think that that in this country just because there's going to be a pub on a motorway service station doesn't mean that people are going to go in there and have three or four pints and then drive I think that as a nation now you only get such a small minority and those people are just ridiculous who still think it is acceptable to drink and drive but should you say it's a small minority should we be making it any easier for those idiots but then it Again, if you've got somebody who's intelligent, surely if they see that pub and they know they're going to be driving, they may go in there, have something to eat and move on. It doesn't mean they're going to go in there and get smashed. Justin, you go out every morning and speak to the man on the street. You Mm. know the man on the street is not particularly intelligent. (laughs) That's not true. That's not true. (laughs) Come on. I I think with all the campaigns in in recent years, only an idiot will go out and have a few pints of lager and then get behind the wheel of their car. Surely after all of the education we've been told about surely only somebody stupid will go and do that justin dealey thank you very much indeed well i'm joined now by professor stephen glaister director of the rac foundation uh stephen only an idiot would go and have a, a drink then get into a car well we we think that but i'm afraid the uh, figures still show that people do uh, drink and drive and uh, the number of prosecutions 
support that. It just doesn't feel right, does it? I mean, we, we uh, like the government, want to encourage motorway users to take a break uh, for tiredness reasons. You know, falling asleep at the wheel is a major problem. Um, and yet, uh, we don't really want them then to be faced with a, a full-blown pub where they could be tempted into having a drink. It, it doesn't feel right. I know that um, this particular site is one which you can get onto from the, the general road network. Just so, in that sense, it's just like any other pub. But um, it, it doesn't feel right to have official motorway signs directing you into a motorway rest area and then being faced with a, a, a full-blown pub. But you, I mean, you mentioned it yourself, and several people on the Facebook page, including uh, uh, Phil, say, what's the problem? Pubs on the A1? Two words, self-control. And you can from any motorway junction. A mile and a half at the most, you'll find a boozer somewhere. So is it really any different from that? Well, of course it's not different in principle. You can always drive off a motorway and find a pub, as you say. It's a matter of... um of putting temptation in the way of people who wouldn't otherwise have thought of having a drink. You know, if you're using a motorway, by definition, you're on a journey, you're going you're going somewhere. Um, and if you're driving, then you certainly shouldn't be drinking. And, you know, if you pull off in, in the idea of having a rest, you'd normally think of having a coffee. If suddenly you're faced with a bar, you might well be tempted to just have a quick pint. Um, but that's very bad news. You really shouldn't be doing that. Is drink driving, uh, are the numbers decreasing? Because it does, sa- it, to me, it feels like such an old-fashioned concept to, to go and have a couple of pints and then jump in the car and go home. There has been a complete change of attitudes over the years, that's true. Um, and that's because the legislation has been enforced and over the years people have, have changed their minds. But there's still a drink-driving problem, there's no doubt about that. We were uh, a little disappointed last year when the government... Uh, having reviewed the drink driving legislation, refused to reduce the limit from 80 milligrams to 50 milligrams, which is the the limit across. A what lot does of the that What does that mean in the real world? What is 80 milligrams? Uh, that's the um, the level at which you will be over the legal limit. How much is that? is that? Is that a pint? Two pints? I don't, uh, you know, I'm not too sure. Right. Uh, I should know. We we should all know, but I don't know to be yeah. honest. And I suspect um, most people don't know. They, I, I, some, most people think, oh, I, you know, I'm fine with a couple of pints, so I'll, I, I'll be able to do this. It's not a problem at all, and that's probably the limit, so it'll do. Well, you've made the point. If people have that attitude and they find themselves, you know, a long day in London on the way home in the evening, driving up to Birmingham, let's have a couple of pints because it's there. Um, that's dangerous. Have a, uh, we just got had a, 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 a spokes uh, comment, uh, a comment, sorry, from J.D. Weatherspoons. Um, uh, they say, we don't see any problem. The spokesman carried on. Uh, much of Weatherspoon's sales comes from food, and it also serves non-alcoholic and hot drinks. We believe the majority of people that use the pub to drink will be people that aren't driving. The majority. Well, OK. Coach parties or people travelling with others. We won't be asking them whether they are driving. It's up to them. That's all, all quite correct. The majority won't be drivers. The question is, with, will some of them be drivers? That's the question, isn't it? Uh, I, Stephen uh, Glaser from uh, the IRC, thank you very much uh, indeed. Joe's in Letchworth. Joe, what do you think? I think it's a silly idea, Aidan. Um, it's, uh, I, I can't believe the cheek of Weatherspoon has actually come out and something like that. Um, first of all, brush your teeth, you dirty man. Oh. Second of all... <laughs> I brushed, I brushed of them all. in the morning. And at night, you should oh, be. You should How be setting a good example to your kids. Yes. Come on, you're nearly 40. Is, uh, Paul Connett, retired oh, why, why am I, what am I hearing here? Second, a second. I've been, my I'm radio's been to- taken over. Was... Joe, can you, hear, can you hear that gentleman talking? No. Wow, did anyone else hear that? My radio was taken <laughs> over for a second. 
<laughs> I don't know, that was very spooky. There was a voice just started talking to us. Or maybe, maybe, listen, I'm 40 at the weekend, Joe. Maybe this is it. Maybe I've peaked. It's all, I'm, I'm going a little bit doolally. Turning <laughs> oh, into my granddad. So, anyway, Joe, yes, so back to, back to the, boozing on, the boozing at motorway service stations. Yeah, it's a really bad idea, mate. It's, it's, it's not responsible. And to be honest, there is a duty of care issue with Weatherstones, um, especially being a, you know, a man of uh, safety. Um, so there is a, a, an issue there. And we, we talked about um, the guy saying, we, you know, it's just about sensible sensible choices and, you know, self-control. But the thing is, then, we look at all the burger places, all the KFCs, McDonald's, Burger Kings, all the other types of restaurants that have pro- cropped up over the years, convenience foods, and look at the obesity problem. So it's, it's inevitable. Oh, Jack, listen, we're, 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 we're losing the line there. I think you made your point. Uh, it, people don't have self-control, do they? That's the thing. That's, we are people. We do not have self-control. I'm not going to say anything about larger people, because I know Jonathan took a, took a big bashing from uh, several of them the other day, so I'm staying well out of that. But there is a lack of self-control when it comes to food, when it comes to booze, when it comes to sex, when it comes to all kinds of things. Of course we don't have self-control. So, to, uh, and, uh, yes, you can, buy, you can buy booze at uh, various places and have it in your car. You can get it at any point. You can drive to the pub. But just the thought of having a pub at a service station where we are encouraged to take a break... Have a little doze for half an hour, maybe have a bite to eat, just freshen up, waking up. It just seems it's, it's putting temptation in the way of people. It's not a good idea, is it? 08459 455 555 81333. Start your text 3CR or go to Facebook. You're being very feisty on Facebook this morning. I like it. Do go and have a cheeky argument with each other. Play nice, don't be rude. But go and have an argument on there. Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. In sport, Manchester City have agreed a fee with Sevilla for their Spanish international, uh, Jesus Navas. Can you say his name properly for me, Jonathan? Navas. Jesus Navas. Jesus Navas. Okay, a little bit of casual racism there first thing in the morning. I like that. Why, why is that racist? Sorry? Why is that racist? Could you hear me when I said that? Yes. Oh, I thought I was thinking it. No. Coming up, more on Britain's first pub on the motorway. And also, Splash, my favourite programme, which I've, I've certainly sent the producers an email saying, can I be on it? So I don't want to slag it off too much on air if we can. But no, big bucks, big bucks it pays. Oh, yes. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> the reason there was silence there is I was, I was um, doing, no, I was doing what the, I believe the youngsters call caning. I was necking a couple of pills. I was caning some pills there. Yes, neurofen. Neurofen. I have a, yes, but nothing uh, naughty or, or loving. I, I have a little bit of a headache developing. A little bit of the tremors. Oh, gosh. What? You're having one of your turns. I could be having a turn. You're going to have one of your migraines. I might be having a little migraine. Are we going to have to uh, oh. ship a bevy of beauties oh. into the studio with fat? Hands. Is that is that possible? Is that an option? And I put one know. of those eye patches over. Do you wear one of those? I do. I do wear eye patches. Yes. Do you? Yes, at night time. Yes. Like my shooting patch. <laughs> oh, one eye. Yeah. One eye. No, listen. You can't mock. Um, no, I've had a migraine once. Only once in my life. It was awful. People say, "Oh, it's just a bad headache." It's, not, Ooh, it's nothing no. like a headache. It, it was terrible. It, I was driving a car when I had it, oh. and all the car lights started going yeah. into. Oh, it was terrible. I thought, my God, I've got to get home quickly. This is awful. So I, you you drove faster whilst you couldn't yeah, see properly. Put, put, put it down. <laughs> no, that's a joke, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I'm only joking, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> anyway, take my wife, please. Take her. Uh, anyway, uh, uh, Jonathan Vernon-Smith, I am off for the next few days. Oh. I know 
Justin, oh, that's a bit sarcastic. <laughs> Justin, let's see what noise this gets. Justin Dealey is filling in for me. Oh. Ah. Could you just keep an eye on him? Right. He has a tendency, just, oh, all right, girls, oh, all right, girls, well, so anyway, coming on the show later on, we'll be, we'll be talking about all the bus lanes and the, all the bus lanes. That sounds like your Tim impression. My, my impressions are limited, let's be honest. <laughs> uh, and I'm just worried that I, over the last eight months, I have steadily built up a listenership yeah. to this show. I don't want to come back next week and to find they've all gone to heart. I really don't. Right. So could you just, I know you're an experienced broadcaster. Just keep well, What am I supposed to do? Just keep an eye on him, keep take him under your, your wing, act like a father figure to him. Oh. Could you do that? <laughs> oh, just, okay. Just, just take him to one side and think, J- Justin, I thought that bit was a little bit sexist, that bit was a bit homophobic, that bit was, was certainly uh, <laughs> incredibly offensive. <laughs> do you think he is Bernard Manning? <laughs> You've seen him in the office, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> that bit was a bit racist, that bit was a bit sexist. Justin will do <laughs> Do a very good job. Don't worry, he's not going to uh, oh. to be racist and sexist. He's not a racist or sexist person. What? <laughs> <laughs> of course he's not. No, he's not. On air. No, he's, what? No, he's I not. Li- I like Justin. I like Justin. I just, just think he needs a little bit of, of, of guidance from an older man. <laughs> Hang on a minute. Sorry? I don't like the way these conversations going. Well, no, what? Well, I'm just I'm not eighty. No, but you, but you act, you know, you're like you're in your fifties. <laughs> like an eighty-year-old. Yes, you do. You have you have the tendencies Thanks, of an eighty-year-old gentleman. I just think all I'm trying to say is you're an excellent broadcaster. He is barely adequate. Guide him in the ways of radio. Oh, thanks. You're welcome. It was a compliment to someone. Yes. What's coming up on your show this morning? Well, I'm fascinated with your your JD Weatherspoons chat you've been having this morning. Yes. Coming up at nine, uh, we're hoping to speak to JD Weatherspoons on the program just after nine, and I'm going to be asking everybody: Do you see anything wrong with a pub on the motorway? All of your listeners absolutely think it's ridiculous. Yes, but is it really any different to having a Toby in at the side of a dual carriageway? The harvester at the side of the A-road. I mean, surely, in all kinds of situations, we have public houses, places that serve food and booze, right next to the road, and many people drive their car in, they have a pint, they have some lunch, and then they drive out and they drive home on a busy road, doing perhaps 60 or 70 miles an hour. Is it really any different? I'm looking at you. Sorry, I'm genuinely looking at you. Yes, it is different. Why is it different? Because it's a service station. It's a place where we're supposed to go and rest when we've been driving for too long, when we're a little bit tired, when we want some refreshment. So to have a boozer there is just putting temptation in the way of idiots. But if I was to decide... OK, so I could I could drive to Northampton. Yeah. And I could either go... I'd get a bit tired halfway. Of course. So I think to myself, right, do I pull into the Newport Pagnell services... Yeah. ...and just, you know, have, have a pint and a ham, egg and chips, and then carry on my journey? Or what's the difference if I went via Bedford and I stopped at a village pub and had ham, egg and chips and a pint and then carried on my journey? I could do, the, I could do that already if I went via Bedford. I oh. can't do it at Newport Pagnell Services. But what's really the difference? Oh, no, you're right. No, no, sorry. No, I take it back. It's a brilliant idea to have a pub at a service station. You've, you've convinced okay. me. Thank you. Oh, that was so, easy. So, from nine, let's uh, see if I can convince anyone else. <laughs> Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Do you see anything wrong with a pub on the motorway? Text eight one three double three. Start your message with three CR. Text will be charged at the standard network rate. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now splash. 
the diving television programme. Did you, you did you watch it? I mocked it the first week. I mocked it without watching it because I'm an idiot. I watched it. I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. Superb. Great family entertainment. Celebrities being challenged to do something new, potentially dangerous, and uh, there was synchronised swimming as well. Perfect. Well, the production, uh, it seems a second series could again be filmed at the Inspire Sports Centre in Stopsley. The production company behind the show has approached Luton Borough Council, but there's been no final decision. Dave Mingate is from the NUT in Luton. Dave, you weren't happy about this series being filmed there the first time, were you? No, I wasn't. And I remember talking to you about it. And I remember, as you just said, you, uh, you mocked it and then you watched it, you loved it. And I remember uh, we made a deal on there that I would watch it yep. and I, I did watch it, two to words. And I thought, what a, what a complete waste of Saturday night, really. What a oh, terrible dear. show. Oh, dear. <laughs> what was, why did you think that, Dave? It, I thought it had everything. It had celebrities, it had danger, it had glamour, it had synchronised swimming. It was perf- perfect family entertainment. Well, I, I was quite amazed they managed to pad out three, four people diving over such a long show. And, and actually, when it, when it came down to it, very little happens in the show. I mean, I, I went to see Diving the Olympics. It's a very quick, fast-paced sport. They just padded out for far too long. Really, not a lot happened in the show. And I thought it was just such a, a terrible show. Why are you concerned about it returning to Luton? Well, once again, children um, and young people's lessons are going to be interrupted. The pool will be out of action while, while they film. Um, and I understand that the, the, the council are now saying, well, this is good for Luton because it's going to bring in money. Well, I remember last time they were saying it's good because it's going to promote the swimming pool. Well, which is it? Are they doing it because they're going to get extra money or they're doing it because it's going to promote the pool? Well, they, they will be getting a fat check. They've refused to tell us, by the way, how big and how fat their check was last time. I believe we, have, we may have or we we're going to put in a, a freedom of information request to find out. So we will we'll find out. But the council does say... The first series allowed for a new IT system to be installed uh, to improve the booking of swimming and diving lessons, new springboard, poolside board. So it has paid off, hasn't it? Well, it hasn't. It hasn't. I mean, you're going to get a new springboard. You're going to get a, a more sophisticated IT system excuse me, to uh, book diving lessons and swimming lessons. But those but people were interrupted. So it's fine having a computer system, but if every time someone comes along with a bit of money... The council's going to say, all right, you can use our pool. It doesn't matter that people can't use a swimming pool. It doesn't matter that people do can't use a swimming pool. And that's not much of a legacy, really, is it? They were interrupted one day a week for, what, six weeks? Come on, it's nothing. Well, how, how would you like it? I mean, you're, you're a parent. If someone came along to a child's school and said, tell you what, every Wednesday, your child can't go to school um, because... Someone's come along with a nice big fat check, and we go to film Waterloo Road, for example, or Grangehill in your child's school. Grange How do you feel Hill. about that? Well, I'd say, what, what they're bringing Grangehill back from the dead. But they wouldn't do that, though, Dave. <laughs> they wouldn't do that. I remember they, they did film at my school when I was a kid, and it was fantastic. It was exciting. Well, yeah, exactly, but you were there at the same time. They're not going to... Cl- David, they're not going to close <laughs> a school. You, you lot would love it, you NUT lot. You, another day off for you. <laughs> That's a conversation for a different day. We're talking about a legacy. We're talking about a recreational facility for the people of, of Luton. And if we're going to close it every time someone comes along with a big fat check, then we're not really doing the people of Luton a service. You're not just being a little bit grumpy, Dave. Oh, well, well my wife would say I'm very grumpy at times, but I, I just think it's a case of money talks rather than, than um, service delivery. Dave Mingay, uh, thank you very much, from the NUT in Luton. Not happy about the potential of a nurse. As far as I know, and let's be honest, cards on the table, I have put my name into the ring 
for the next series of Splash. I'd love to do it. Hate diving. I can swim, not particularly strong uh, uh, swimmer. But I've put my name. I've put my name on the list. It pays very, very well. Very well. I believe um, that the next series is next year, 2014, is what I've heard. I don't think it's this year. I've heard 2014. But uh, we did have a, um, a statement from a 2-4 Productions. A spokesperson said, we, had, we were delighted to film Splash at Inspire Sports Centre earlier this year. We're currently in the early stages of production and no location has yet been confirmed for Series 2. Well, dear Mr. 2-4, Ian Lee, that's who you want. Remember me? Yeah, I used to work with Ricky Gervais and Alijay. So all I'm saying, so all I'm saying is I will give you good dive. I would certainly give you good Splash. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. We will be talking about oral hygiene soon. I want to know, how often do you brush your teeth? Twice a day? Once a day? Every other day? Oh, really? That, that, that is dirty. I'm a once-a-dayer, uh, and my hygiene is pretty darn good. There's a little bit of stainage here and there. The back of my teeth need a good scrape. But I haven't got... No, they do! <laughs> I do like it when you go to the dentist and they get that thing and they just scrape all that gunk from the back of your teeth. It's a really satisfying feeling. And then you lick the back of your teeth, you can feel tooth again. Not just plaque, or plaque as some of you people call it. But I have no fillings, zero fillings. Yeah, that's right. And I brush my teeth once a day. What's happened basically is because of... <laughs> Who's that gentleman? We don't want to talk to him, we want to talk to this one. Adam Glynn, not the bus man. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is Ian Lee. BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Last 30 minutes of the show, we're talking oral hygiene, uh, something that Michael Douglas should certainly be paying attention to, uh, and boozers on the motorway, 08459 455 555. Now, is it a waste of time brushing your teeth more than once a day? I brush my teeth just once a day. Sometimes twice, but generally once. No fillings. Some of you dirty, dirty people don't even do that. A survey has found a quarter of the uh, population admitted to not brushing their teeth even once a day. The British Dental Health Foundation says by not brushing your teeth, you're storing up problems like tooth decay and gum disease. Well, our reporter Justin Dealey has been looking into this very important piece of research, haven't you, Justin? I have, Ian. You're, uh, what, 50 this weekend? And you say you've got, what, no fillings? Come on, the truth. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very funny. I want to work with you in a little bit as well on a separate matter. Okay. Yeah, so get on with this. Well, um, I've taken this one to the streets. I was uh, in Hemel so yesterday. You've done, you've done what? I've taken it to the streets. Oh, for goodness sakes. Yeah. All right. I was in Hemel yesterday buying my uh, lightly dusted fish for my tea. And whilst I was there, I was asking people about their teeth, and this is what people had to say. Oh, am I supposed to be playing it? Yes, you are, I yeah. Haven't got it. Haven't got it. It's nope. a shame. Okay, well, people told me that... No, um, we'll, we'll get it. We'll get okay. it. Listen, okay. this is the BBC, okay, and we will get Slick. it. Just Slick wait for production, yeah. Yep. <clears throat> <coughs> right, hang on Lovely second. weather. Yep. Mm. There's a Makes police a siren there. Follow yes, that. There could is. be a story. <laughs> right. Oh, what's happening? I don't know. Right. Do it again. You got it. Give it again. Okay. So I was in Hemel yesterday asking people about their teeth, and this is what they had to say. Yes. Um, because of the way I felt last night when I didn't brush my teeth. Slime is covering every tooth. And uh, just don't want to open your mouth in front of anyone in case all the germs escape so anybody who is listening to this right now who doesn't brush their teeth more than once a day they should be utterly ashamed of themselves absolutely so let me put this question to you if you don't brush your teeth more than once a day are you disgusting yeah i'd say yeah 
So you're what, twice a day? Twice, yeah. And what do you think about some people who don't brush their teeth for, for two or three days in a row? What do you think about those people? Well, I wouldn't want to talk to them. <laughs> Put it that way. Yeah, it's really disgusting because dental hygiene can be a key role of uh, coming across how you are to new people that you meet. It's really disgusting, especially if you're dating somebody and you kiss them and you haven't cleaned your teeth because it can just be really nasty tasting and it can like probably leave film from the other person's teeth in your mouth. Which what a graphic not, description. Not pleasant at all. Oh, film from mm. the other person's mouth. That's horrible. So once again, it seems like you're on the uh, on your own there, Ian. If you're brushing your teeth once a day, I couldn't find anybody um, who was doing that. For most people, it's twice a day. It's just basic hygiene. It doesn't. It doesn't mean I'm wrong, Justin. It means I'm a trailblazer. <laughs> How many fillings have you got? Um, probably about, what, three? Right. Probably another two more to come. Okay, okay. so you've got, f- let's say, five. Yeah. How often do you brush your teeth? Twice a day. Too much? You're doing it too much. You're wearing your teeth away. <laughs> That's what you're dentist. doing. Yeah, it should be. Giving out those nice little stickers. Yeah, you'll be good. Thank you. I'll, I'll speak to you in a few minutes, Justin. Yeah. I, I need a word with you before the rest of the week. Now... Uh, the scientific advisor for the British Dental Association is Professor Damon Wormsley. Good morning, uh, Damien. Good morning. How Can impo- I ask you, Ian? Yes. Can I ask you, how, off- how long do you brush your teeth for? Um, well, it depends. A couple of minutes. It's, a, it's an electric toothbrush. And you've got a timer on it, so you, you, nah, you brush I've not, it. Got, not got a timer. I just when they just feel clean, when my mouth feels clean. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I, th- I can't believe that people just don't brush... Well, I think you should be brushing it twice a day. Well, I mean, you, you would say that. Black mark for you. No, well, you, no, listen, listen, Professor, you say black mark. I visit, <laughs> the, no, I visit the dentist regularly. I have no fillings, so I, I'm winning. Oh, well, you're very good, very how, good. How it many must be you're cutting the sweets down, you see, and keeping those down to meal time. How many, <laughs> how many fillings have you got? Uh, oh, I've got about three. Oh, oh, hang on a second, and how many times do you brush your teeth? <laughs> I've had a feeling for a long time, though, a long, long time, but I brush my teeth twice a day. Do you see? Now there's a pattern emerging. People who are brushing their teeth twice a day have got three fillings. I've got none whatsoever. What happens if, if you don't brush your teeth regularly? Well, then, you, first off, you'll see that your gums will bleed, and that's, um, that, that's the first sign that you're not brushing your teeth properly. Oh, yeah, I get that. And so the thing is, if you've got to, by brushing your teeth, you, you take away the, the bacteria, the bugs that cause the... The body sort of is trying to, trying to attack these bugs, and, and that's the bleeding of the gums. So brushing your teeth actually makes the gums nice, pink, and healthy. You've got to keep at it to keep, keep the bugs away from the teeth. Is there, there was a report, wasn't there, a few months ago, that it, it, people uh, who don't brush their teeth could be in danger of developing Alzheimer's or, or dementia of some kind. Is there, is there any truth in that? There's a, there's a lot of truth in all these things that, that basically, if you, if you keep, you've got to keep your mouth clean. If you don't keep your mouth clean and then it gets grotty and then you get bugs in there and, and you get uh, all sorts of problems happening and then it will affect your general health. So you really do need to have a healthy mouth to keep, you, keep, keep the rest of your body healthy. Now, c- c- I'm going to ask you a question which you may not know the answer to. It may not be your area of expertise. And there are young ears listening, so we need to tread carefully. I don't know if you saw the story about Michael Douglas in the newspapers yesterday. He, oh, yes. He yes. claimed, although it's since been disputed whether he said this or not, but the papers yesterday reported Michael Douglas claimed he had throat cancer because of an oral practice that uh, he and his wife were indulging in. Is that yes. possible? 
Well, I thought that, I thought that was uh, interesting how he, he came out and, and mentioned that on, on in, in, a, in a story like that. Yes. I mean, that's quite brave of him. Yep. Uh, uh, it's not my expertise, I area, not. But, but I mean, it's, 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 it's an area that's undergoing, undergoing research and looking at and that. So okay, so it, th- it there could be a possible link between um, that activity and, and uh, throat cancer. That's interesting. There's a possible link and it's, it's undergoing, undergoing research. But, People? Uh, that, that's quite a big jump from brushing your teeth, though, isn't it? <laughs> well, I think that I, I would say I would brush my teeth then. We're in very great danger of me losing my job. So, moving on, on swiftly. Some people don't even brush their teeth once a day. They can wait two or three times, uh, th- two or three days before they brush. That is wrong, isn't it? You, you should really brush your teeth twice a day. Preferably a good uh, routine to get into is brush uh, just before you go to bed and... Um, uh, before we go to bed, and maybe once uh, sometime during the day, but usually I, myself, I do it when I get up and, and last thing at night. And the other thing you, you've got to do, I was just asking about time, it, yes. it's, it's best to do put about two minutes, and yeah. if you have a timer, I mean, two minutes in a busy life, it, it sometimes can be an eternity, but it's uh, important to time yourself. And the other thing to think of is, is it's, it's not, it's how you use the toothbrush. You've got to be systematic. You've got to remember to clean all those surfaces. Yep. Um, no technique is superior over another. It's just check with your dentist to make sure you're brushing all the surfaces. What are they saying these days? Because when I was a kid, it, I think it was up and down. Now, is it round and round? It really doesn't matter as long as you're doing the job effectively. Okay. That's the thing. You can buy these little ch- tablets that uh, um, from boots from some of the chemists and that, where you can actually stain the the plaque on your teeth, yes. so you can see where you're missing. Uh, you, you talk about the two-minute uh, rule. Kelly Betts is a member of my production team. She's got a genuine question about brushing her teeth. Kelly, you, you're speaking to the professor. Hi, okay. Damien. Hi, how are you? Hello, I'm good, thank you. So I clean my teeth around four to five times a day with an electric toothbrush for two minutes at a time. It, it, is that, that okay? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, as long as you're not doing any damage, that's fine. But you can really cut back to, to twice a day. I mean, mm. often one of the areas to watch is if you've been um, had something to eat and you've had something sort of uh, sticky to eat or you've had some fruit juice. It's best not to brush your teeth for about an hour after oh. because your teeth tend to be a bit softer then. Oh. So, if you are brushing, it's probably best to brush before meal time. Could she be doing damage to her gums by brushing that much, Professor? Um, if she checked with a dentist and had a look, and the dentist has a, has, a, has a look at it, and the teeth are looking healthy and that, then there shouldn't be a problem. But really, the recommendation yeah. is just to stay on twice. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that's, uh, that's wrong, but I, w- I would just have a check. It also, it's a bit weird to do it five times a day. That's a little bit OCD. I, you should probably I have should... a nap, though, in the day, and I clean before I go to sleep, and then when I wake up. Well, what's going to happen while I, you're I, asleep? I you've got really good teeth, so I, I wouldn't worry yourself. You're probably doing a very good job. OK, Thank we're, we're going to end this on-air flirting. Uh, <laughs> Professor, listen, I appreciate your time. Thank you very much indeed. That's uh, Professor Damien Walmsley, uh, who is a uh, scientific advisor for the British Dental Association. I can't believe... <clears throat> that some of you dirty, dirty people don't brush your teeth every day. I couldn't do that. I have done it in the past. There have been times when I've, I've driven to work and just thought, oh, oh, no, I'm not brushing my teeth. Oh, that feels horrible. <clears throat> and then I, I kind of, I, I do that thing where I, I run my finger. Have you done this? You run your finger under the, the tap and you kind of give it a little finger brush. You ever do that? You've never done a finger brush? You should do. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. We've been talking uh, about uh, Weatherspoon. Want to open a boozer at the uh, junction to M40 services, Beaconsfield. I know it very, very well indeed. 
Um, and some of you have texted in uh, on this. Uh, Mark in Bletchley says, Ian, I don't think alcohol will be a big seller. It'll be like having a pub in a police station. Too many easy pickings. Lisa in Bedford says, you can buy a present. You can buy alcohol at most way service stations, wine in Marks and Spencers, etc. It's down to individual choice. But we're making it easier. You buy a bottle of wine, it's very, very unlikely you're going to get in the back of your car and neck a bottle of wine, is it? Or in the driver's seat. But if you've got a pint of lager, you'll drink that and then you could stagger off to the car. Sue in Welling Garden City says, um, it's selfish, Ian. My cousin's husband has killed three people on separate occasions through drink driving. Is he still driving? Yes. Does he still drink and drive? Yes. Some people never learn. Well, there you go. Uh, 08459 455 555. What's Dennis and Dunstable called in to moan about now? Good morning, Dennis. No, no. What? Let me say straight away, have a very nice holiday. Whether or not where you're going or whether you're just going to sit down and do nothing, but... I'm going to sit in a dark room and cry. Well, you're talking about brushing your teeth. Yes. Don't forget, I came from before the war when we used to have a school dentist used to come round and I was terrified of him, so I cleaned my teeth regularly because he didn't believe in fillings, he believed in yanking the teeth out before they got a chance to get that. Kids don't get enough teeth yanked out these days. They don't know the, the, the true meaning of, of the word pain. No, I've got most of my own teeth at 88. Wow. Only in, in, in a box under I've the bed? I have two screwed in at the front because a daft dentist at the factory I worked at ruined my f- two front teeth, so I had to have new ones put in complete. But, so you brush your teeth... I'm just really seeing a pattern here. You brushed your teeth, what, a couple of times a day? No, three times. Th- I brush them when I get up in the morning. I brush them after, if, if, after a heavy meal. I'm talking about breakfast. No, a heavy and meal, And I brush yes. them before I go to bed at night. OK, so you brush your teeth three times a day? Yep. And yet you've got false uh, you've got false teeth at the front and you've got True. fillings. Yeah, but yeah. that was yeah. that was yeah. the fault unfortunately stupid dentist at the factory I worked. Doesn't matter. You ruined the two front teeth. Nope. Doesn't matter. You've so got I've f- got two beautiful ones. Yeah, they okay. are my own teeth because I paid for them. Thank you very much indeed, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Dennis is here every day this week, unfortunately. <laughs> but you've got no you've got false teeth and you've got fillings and you brush your teeth three times a day. Yeah. It turns out the more brushing you do this is what I've learned from this morning's show, the more you brush your teeth, the more detrimental it is to, to your dental hygiene. Oh, well, I'm afraid there's something wrong with the dentist, that's all. There we go, Dennis and Dunstable. Oh, right. yeah, there we go, that, that, that phone call kind of petered out, which is sometimes is the best way for phone calls to go, I find. Uh, right, uh, Jane's in Ellsbury. Morning, Jane. Morning. Jane, do you brush your teeth regularly? Yes, I do. How often? Twice. How many fillings? Probably about four or five. Did you see? The proof positive. You only need brush your teeth once a day. You will never have <laughs> fillings. You had a relationship with the dirty man, did you? Yes, I what, did. What happened? I, I mean in, in the, the uh, oral sense. No, hang on. Yeah, oh, I yeah. mean t- teeth-wise. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> go on. He um, would not brush his teeth for weeks at a time. Oh, my God. Weeks? Yes, weeks. Why? Um, just laziness. It's the same with the shaving, the same with the showering. Oh, was he homeless or something? No, he was living at home with his parents. Oh, for goodness. How, how old was he? 43. Oh, Jane, there's so much wrong with this. Yeah, yeah. A 43-year-old man living yeah. with mum who doesn't brush his teeth, the shaving, well, I can kind of dig, but doesn't have a shower. What, what on earth did you see in him? Well, uh, that's what... <laughs> Oh. Uh, it was, um, oh. let's put it this way. It was a, da- a dating website, and oh. saw the picture. I thought, oh, yes, okay. And we contacted each other with emails, etc. Yeah. And the first time I met him, right, sitting across the table having a drink, yeah. the smell was absolutely horrendous. Oh. It was absolutely. 
he he was he was um dry uh, um uh bare passenger in my car and the smell was last for two days the smell from his mouth was last for two days and did you marry this man no i no. did not how, how long did you go out with him <laughs> just about a year <laughs> just a year yeah. just just a year just is that all a year. wow gosh yes. I thought he, he, he um, when he stayed over, I even got him a toothbrush and stuff and for him to, and he would not use it. He sounds like quite a catch, Jane. Why did you let this man go? <laughs> did you say to him, all right, Steve, listen, I'll be honest, you stink. Yes, I did. In uh, the end, yes. And his reaction? Well, that's me. You take me as you take me. <laughs> Oh, dear, Jane. Well, in some ways, thank you for that story. In some ways, oh, dear, why did you have to tell me that story? Oh, dearie, dearie me. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. A carpet fitter from Watford is set to become one of the most recognisable faces in the country. From today, Andy Brodie is the face of a new van advert, which is going up on the biggest billboard on the M4 motorway, as well as hundreds of others. Good morning, Andy. Morning. How, how did you get this gig? Um... Well, where I bought my van from in Volkswagen in Hatfield, they um, they, they phoned me and said, oh, would you be interested in an advertising campaign? And I, I didn't think nothing of it. And said to them, yeah, yeah, go on then. And then a couple of sort of interviews later, they said, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll put you through. And then it just escalated from there. Went to Derby, doing some filming, some photo shots. Um, then I've done some more filming last week, and it's apparently it's all in the, going up on the billboards today. And what kind of, Andy, let me just check. What kind of pictures are these? Are they just, like, normal pictures of you working, or are they a little bit, um, blue? <laughs> no, these are just a picture of me and my van. Um, and you're, you're, fu- you're fully clothed? I'm fully clothed, yes, oh, that's, that's 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 a relief. I, I sometimes frequent a cafe in Luton where they have uh, men, uh, semi-nude men on the walls. I don't want to see that. <laughs> no, definitely, definitely not me. Definitely not me. Uh, d- d- so how, how is it going to work? Are you are you expecting to get more business out of this? Hopefully I will. Hopefully. We'll, we'll just have to see, see what happens later on this afternoon because I've got to go to uh, Brentford where the M4 is. It's the biggest billboard in the country. Blimey. Apparently it's going to, you know, just have a two because Volkswagen Transport, well, because the commercial side is the biggest ad they've done so far, so yeah. it, it'll be good. And are you prepared, uh, listen, many, many years ago in another life, I was on a billboard and I remember the first time I saw it, oh, I couldn't believe it. It was it, it was exciting but also embarrassing. How, how do you think you're going to feel when you see it? I don't know yet, but I know there's, there's already a couple up somewhere else in London and someone's sent me the picture but i haven't actually seen it so just my first reaction will be uh, quite unique i think and listen just to say I, I i'm on the back of a bus i believe someone has already defaced one of these buses by drawing a gentleman's part coming out of my mouth so just just be just be aware andy that if, if people do vandalize it don't take it personally okay don't <laughs> don't take it won't. personally are, are you married have you got a girlfriend I'm married and with two children. Well, just, okay, just, and, and is that marriage strong enough to survive this onslaught of fame? Yes, it is. We're, we're very happily well, that's, married. That's, that's good to know. Well, listen, enjoy it, Andy. Congratulations. Andy Brody's going to be, his face is going to be all over the, the, the country on one of the biggest billboards going. Wowzers. Now, joined now by Justin Dilly. Morning, Justin. Hello, Ian. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing very well. Now, listen, I'm off for a few days. Mm. Uh, I'm off... Sorry? Turn that off. Okay. Bit of respect. 
Okay. I'm, I'm a, a professional broadcaster. I've been broadcasting for the last 15 years. I have worked with some of the country's greats. I know you have, but that email was sent to me by the BBC Complaints Department for uh, the next few days. Apparently, they can put their feet up and uh, enjoy life. Happy days. So I'm coming back next Tuesday, yes. inshallah. Now, all I want to say, Justin, is there are a few <laughs> tips I've got for you. Because yeah. I, I have heard when you filled in for me before, and I was disappointed that David Priever wasn't free this week. Yeah. <laughs> so just a few things, OK? Stop talking like a Cockney Barra boy, if okay. you can. Well, okay. I've injected class into this show. Okay. Stop treating um, the ladies on the team as pieces of meat that are just there to get you cups of tea with three sugs. Are okay? you talking about me or are you talking about you? Here? I'm, I'm just I'm, a little, little bit confused. I'm, I'm addressing you. Okay. Um, when the callers uh, call in, I like to treat them. I like to treat them with a bit of respect and dignity. <laughs> and I would expect you to. I don't treat them as, as, as listeners or callers. I treat them yeah. as friends. Yeah, of course you do. Yeah. So I would um, like you to do the same. And also, just just try the night before. Try and read up on some of the things we're talking about. Some of the subjects. Some of the stories. So you don't just sound like you've just jumped in in the morning and reading the, reading a script cold without having any background knowledge about this the stories. This is a bit bizarre because Sorry? that's. Uh, feedback meeting we had two weeks ago all these things were addressed to you uh, would I be correct in saying they that? They were addressed to me Justin yes. and I asked them to address them to me so that you wouldn't get upset it was aimed at you technically right. <laughs> okay. so can I, can I just ask what, what, what ideas what plans have you got for the next few days in the show just, uh, I'm just going to see where you're taking it I've got absolutely no idea ah. at this moment in time Okay. Got a few tracks in the first hour. Right, okay. It's Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons. Okay. You have no idea of the stories you're going to tackle. Keep it local uh, and vocal is the slogan here. Local, local and, vocal. and vocal, as it says on the back of those buses. Yep, okay. So you, if you can just get some nice local stories, juicy local stories of the mm, kind I like, mm. uh, where, where people are angry about something and, and they see you as a champion. Okay? Yeah, yeah. Great advice. Is it, is it too late to get David Prever back? <laughs> Can we not ask him to come off his holiday? They pressed the speed dial number two to get through to David Prever, but sadly he couldn't make it this week. Okay, he well, said, I just can't stand in for that Ian Lee anymore. I just, I just can't do it. Justin, just, just don't crash the ship, OK? No, I won't do it. All right, thank you very much. Thanks, Ian. Ta-ta. Have a great time. There we go. Thank you. I do worry, and I apologise. It's, it's unfortunate I have to take this time off. I, I apologise. Um, Justin Dealey... Uh, I do hope the show is still here. Don't forget, of course, you can download uh, the best of uh, this show. It's a weekly podcast. There will be a best of this week. Uh, if you want to download it, you can go to the BBC podcast page and uh, uh, download it from there. Or you can go to iTunes. If you go to iTunes, type in BBC Ian Lee, uh, it pops up. Number one in the news and politics section. Number one. Number 39, I think, now in the main chart. Some you win, some you lose. Number one, in your face from our correspondent, Radio 4. Yeah, that's right. I'm more newsworthy and politics-worthy than you are. You can get in touch as well while I'm off. I'm, uh, it's only, I'll be back next Tuesday, fingers crossed. Uh, and if you have a story that you think we should be doing on BBC Three Counties Radio, send me an email, ian.lee at bbc.co.uk. And I've said this before, it can be a huge story that is affecting your county, or it can be a small one that's just affecting you in your house, in your bedroom. If you think it might be newsworthy, and we do get some cracking stories from you, send me an email, ian.lee, I-A-I-N, dot L-double-E, at bbc.co.uk. Just give me a little bit about it and some contact details. And um, th- if we think it's any good, then uh, we'll run it. If it's not quite right for this show, I get lots of um, uh, bands and things that, that want to come on or, or, or festivals that are happening that aren't right for this. I forward them to Nick Coffer. And lots of them... No, I do. Lots of them get, get involved on uh, Nick Coffer's show. 
I do. So uh, I'll forge you onto a show that may be more appropriate. Um, oh, wait, uh, sorry, uh, ian.lee at bbc.co.uk is the thing. And we are looking for bands as well to come on Friday mornings. But slightly uh, obscure, interesting music. Right. That's that. That's it. Uh, J- uh, Justin will be in tomorrow and he'll do a cracking show, of course. I'll see you soon. Jonathan up next. Ta-ta. On FM, AM, online and digital radio. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Ian.